0: Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am your host, Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how
1: are you doing tonight? Doing good. I'm doing good. I feel like I start off this segment all the time where you just kick it over to me real quick, where I'm saying doing good, but I am doing good. It was a nice relaxing uh, weekend. Had a lot of friend time stuff catching up. Seemed like I saw a lot of people that I haven't seen since my wedding you know, almost two months ago now, so it was good with that and just relaxing. It wasn't any you know, hectic scheduling or anything like that. And now we get to sit down and almost do another thing that feels a little bit more routine tonight and whatnot, where we got to do a little bit of fun stuff that we had fun with last year um, on this episode. So I'm feeling really good and I'm excited for the episode we have coming up.
0: That married life, it really has a way of making you forget everybody else, but the person you're married to. Just speaking from experience of somebody who's been married for 10 years, I feel like I could (laughs) count my friends I talk to on a regular basis on one hand and you would be one of those fingers On that hand, Luca, we have a jam-packed show tonight. We have some Bills training camp information to get to. Uh, Luca and I are starting our Rivals Watch series, which we are very excited about. We're going to take a deep dive into all four teams in the AFC West. This will be a weekly series on this Bills chat podcast where we eventually will cover every team on these 2023 Buffalo Bills schedule. But Luca, it is almost August and fantasy football season is right around the corner. So we have a very exciting interview coming up with Victoria Geary from Football Guys. She is going to be joining us to talk about the Buffalo Bills, how some of their players like Dalton Kincaid, James Cook, fare in the fantasy landscape. Is James Cook an RB1? Is Dalton Kincaid worth the hype? Should you buy into the stock that is Dalton Kincaid? And I'm very much looking forward to getting into that with her. But before we do any of that, Luca, the Bills have been on the field now for four practices, and uh, they will put the pads on on Monday at 9.45 a.m.
1: Very much looking forward to that. Through four days, though, Luca, what's your biggest takeaway? Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid. One more time, let me say, it. for the people in the back, Dalton Kincaid. He has been everything and some that we've hoped for. And the kind of, to keep it real short, the highlight or Interesting thing with Dalton Kincaid is he's been so good, and the standard he's already come out with early is so high that today we saw individuals point out that he ran the wrong route, and when that was a highlight for him, that just tells you how obviously well he's been doing before that point. And as a rookie coming in, you would think maybe those confusions or misunderstand—you know, just misunderstandings of what's going on—would happen a little bit more often, or maybe it's just not as comfortable when that's the first time anyone's really had anything. Quote, unquote, or, you know, if you're listening on the audio, I'm doing air quotes here. Negative about the individual. You're doing pretty dang well as a rookie, especially as a first round with all eyes on you. So Don Kincaid has been clearly the thing to take away from training camp on these four practices. And when the pads get put on Monday morning, boy, is it going to be exciting to continue to watch him and see how he progresses even more. So once people are hitting a little bit.
0: And we don't want to shortchange you all with the uh, training camp conversation. I hope I hope if you are listening to us, you know that shortchanging anything is not what we're about. But I will say that Luca and I covered in-depth everything going on at Bill's training camp on our Friday night live show, Bill's Chat Live. And Luca, they can check that out, the video form of that, on our brand new YouTube page, Bill's Chat. Luca decided to upload, start uploading all of our content to Bill's Chat YouTube. And we would really appreciate it if you head over there. Give us a like, give us a subscribe. We are trying to really try to house all of our content in a one-stop shop for you. So it's super easy for you to find us. Um, I've been having a lot of fun daily uploading training camp recap videos. I actually put one up on Sunday talking about Dalton Kincaid, talking about Stefan Diggs updating the middle linebacker battle, the cornerback battle, the offensive guard battle. Kim Pagula was at practice, which was just such a great sight and and so happy for the Pagula family that she's at that stage now where she can come out and, and really be there cheering for the Bills. Um, So a lot of that's there on YouTube. We're not going to get too much into what's going on at training camp tonight, because when I do talk to Victoria here in a bit, we're going to talk a little bit about training camp. But also, if you listen to our live show or you've been following along on YouTube with some of the clips, um, it it could be a little bit of overlap. Uh, But I do have one more question for you, Luca, because I think it is the hot topic right now. Dane Jackson, seems to be the front runner for that cornerback two job opposite Tradavius White. We have seen Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford work in from time to time, but it has been a steady diet of Dane Jackson with the ones. and it sure feels like right now it's his job to lose. Just what is your opinion of that entire scenario? We can if you want to make it a Kyrie Elam conversation, you can or just maybe your overall confidence level in Dane Jackson.
1: Uh, I'll do a I'll do a couple little quick things on it. You know, we have now yet another practice where, as this trend of Dane Jackson getting in majority of the snaps has happened, and then Sean McDermott talked again today about you have to earn it, you have to come in and earn it, and it's concerning rookies, vets, anyone, you have to come in and earn it, and as it's, it's naturally a little bit more difficult for a rookie or a second year guy to come in and take that job or kind of grasp hold of it in his minds. I think there's a standard that McDermott might have that is just higher than your average coach, or just maybe it's a standard of trust. It's something that goes along with just, if you have been in the system longer, if he can trust you as a man, as well as a player out there, a little bit more than the person behind you, you have to kind of go above and beyond the usual standard to maybe win that job over said person. So now in this example, we're talking about Elam, we're talking about Benford over Dane Jackson, and they're just not able to kind of break through yet. Whether that will come later on in training camp into the preseason, into the regular season, time will tell, of course. But I just think right now, unfortunately for Elam and Benford, they're just not able to break through that trust or that safety blanket feel that McDermott seems to have with Dane Jackson. And just nothing is kind of highlighting them over top of Dane Jackson. So now you're the only time you're seeing Kyer Elam come in is even, it's always noted, Kyer Elam got some time with the ones when Trey was on the sideline. Like it's only when someone else is taking a break. And sadly, it's it's a little disappointing or it's a little frustrating as a fan, I guess. But I don't mean that in any severe negative way. It's just sad because it's, you know, you have a first round pick, of course, in Elam. And then you have a, a fun kind of gem in Benford where you would like to see more time. But if McDermott just feels a bit of more trust with a Dane Jackson, it just is what it is. And we'll see how the training camp and preseason progresses to see if anything changes from here.
0: You said a very important word there a couple times, trust. I heard Jordan Poyer's press conference. I don't remember which day it was. The days are kind of blending together. And he mentioned the fact that he and Micah Hyde and Tredavious White had not all been on the field at the same time since Thanksgiving 2021 in New Orleans. And when you think about that, that is a long time for three all-pro players to not be on the field. And why am I bringing that up? Well, when you think about the Bills' secondary he also mentioned the fact that the comfort level he has with Micah Hyde, the challenge last year playing alongside guys like um, uh, Jaquan Johnson and uh, Demar Hamlin and having the, the lack of knowing what the other what your partner at safety is going to be doing. He talked about when he was in Cleveland, they may have even had a more talented secondary skill wise, athleticism wise. And what the bills have now, but knowing where your brother is going to be on any given play. He said he and Micah have an unspoken language where they know exactly what they're going to do. And then when you compound that with Tredavious white, the experience they have together, Taryn Johnson, it leads me to think that Dane Jackson not only has the trust of Sean McDermott, but this entire group just wants to run it out there with the guys they know. And it's Kyrie Elam could be great. Christian Benford could be great but let's just give ourselves a shot with the guys we know. So we can go out there and play fast. We can play free and we can just see what it looks like. And for just listening to Jordan Poyer Luca, it made me feel a lot better about it. But I do want to say, I know it seems like we're shortchanging the training camp conversation. That is not going to be the normal on Bill's chat. I would say that the majority of our bills chat podcast going forward to the rest of the summer will be a good chunk on training camp before we ultimately transition into the next rivals watch series. Um, It just so happens that we do have an interview guest coming up this week and, and we cover a little bit of that with her. But next week we have the red and blue scrimmage on Friday. So Luca and I will be all over that on bills chat pod. And then we also have, we'll have a handful of days in pads to talk about. We'll be getting ready for that first preseason game coming up against the Colts. So we will have you covered on everything happening at Bill's training camp. But Luke, I have one last question for you before we
1: kick it off with the interview. Have you had your first fantasy football draft yet? No, not yet. I have not. I normally try to get in leagues where that doesn't come for some time because, you know, those early training camp injuries that then happen after your early preseason injuries that happen and you already drafted. Those have kind of scorned, scorned me enough where it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to deal with that anymore.
0: Yeah. Like, what do you do if you drafted Jonathan Taylor? And now it sounds like he may not even be
1: playing yeah. this year for the Colts. Exactly.
0: We covered Jonathan Taylor. We covered Josh Jacobs, but more importantly for the bills fans. Victoria Geary and I covered James Cook, Dalton Kincaid, all of the stars, all the important players on this Bill's offense, what to expect from them, both in season long and dynasty. I think you will enjoy this conversation. Coming up next is my conversation with Victoria Geary, contributor from Football Guys, and we will talk to you on the other side with Rivals Watch. Victoria, thanks so much for joining tonight.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. As soon as you sent the show sheet, I just, oh, I, I'm so excited for football. It's so close, especially seeing all the training camp news this week. I can't wait to get into it.
0: It really starts to feel real when you get the updates from training camp and you see Allen throwing passes to Diggs. I don't know. And I know I was telling Luca this on our show on Friday that there is a point where the training camp updates and the preseason games, the charm wears off and you just cross your fingers hoping you don't see an injury. And maybe with Jalen Ramsey and Garrett Wilson and Joe Burrow already having scares, we've already reached that point. But for right now, Victoria, I'm still like, give me all the information I can get.
2: Yes, I'm with you. I'm just constantly refreshing. And every year, too, you're like, oh, it's so slow, it's so slow. And then it just comes on so quickly. And there's oh, I've just had such a great time this week back on Twitter.
0: Well, I am excited to pick your brain on some fantasy football advice because I will tell you all, I am making a big sacrifice for you because Victoria has been my hidden secret. She has helped me get to fantasy football success through her knowledge. So putting her on here is a big sacrifice I am making. I hope you all can appreciate (laughs) that. But first and foremost, outside of being a fantasy football analyst, Victoria is a Bills fan. So we want to kind of get her opinion on what is going on with our Buffalo Bills and what should be a very interesting year for the Buffalo Bills. So Victoria tough way for the season to end last year. Obviously optimism could not have been higher coming off of that 13 seconds and then signing Von Miller starting off 2-0, just smashing the Rams and the Titans. And then it was just an avalanche of bad news after bad news and then the ultimate thud to end the season. Where's your optimism level now heading into 2023.
2: So it, it's hard to be more optimistic than I have been, probably all of us have been over the last few years. It's always our year, right? And especially with the big splash signing that you just mentioned with Vaughn last year, we didn't have much of that this year. But I still see 12 or 13 wins on that schedule if we stay healthy. I just keep going back to last season. We lost three games by a combination com- combined eight points. You've got one Gabe Davis catchaway. From a win against the Jets, a fumble from Josh against the Vikings. That game was crazy. And of course, our, our heat stroke game against Miami. it Just so many injuries last year. Josh to his throwing arm, Vaughn going down, Mike a Hyde going down, Benford, Trey White still coming back from his ACL and just to still have 13 wins like that with that team last year. And of course, with the, the whole Tamar Hamlin thing, that just what they overcome, overcame last year was wild. So I can't be more optimistic than i already am i love our odds this year i love that no one is talking about the bills that is such a weird phenomenon after being the talk of the town the last two seasons maybe super bowl uh there's just talking heads are just arguing over who's going to win the afc east the jets or the dolphins i mean the bills just aren't being talked about right now it's wild i just saw a clip the other day of someone declaring Tua the best quarterback in the AFC East. I just obviously had to laugh a little bit. No knock on Tua, but uh, I, I love it. We're back in the underdog mode here.
0: Yeah, I'm embracing that because last offseason was a little overwhelming. There was a, a segment on NFL Network where every single panelist picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, at, at that point, your inner Bills fan kicks in like, wait a minute, this feels almost too good to be true. <laughs> and you mentioned the, the pendulum is swinged here. And I think a lot of that is because on the national level, at the higher level, they're not looking under the hood. They're not looking at the fact that the Bills had injuries to three different all pros and Jordan Poyer was being held together by duct tape. And Tredavious White was certainly not the best version of himself. They're just really looking at it as we hyped up the bills and they went out with a whimper in the playoffs. It's time to stop believing in this team. Cincinnati is the new team on the block. And you mentioned the AFC East between the jets and the dolphins. If it's the Patriots, great. I certainly am not there. Do you have one team between those two that you're fearing more from the bill standpoint?
2: typically i mean more so the jets i'm not super high on aaron Rodgers. i think he'll do fine but i it it seemed like he lost a step last year after a couple mvp seasons i i'd say the jets just because of their defense they're just really really tough defense and they just give us a hard time so i'd say the jets
0: and that's where i'm at too and i i want to make sure like this was my opinion prior to the jalen ramsey injury i don't want to sound like i'm being hindsight um analyst here but my opinion about the Dolphins is I think the Jets and the Dolphins are both capable of beating the Bills once, maybe even twice. They're both that good. But to NFL good, playoff good, it's how can you do over a 17-game season? And I just see the Dolphins as much more combustible. They have Tua, who you just you don't know if he's going to make it a full season. They invested highly in Bradley Chubb, who's been a guy that's really struggled to stay on the field. And then some of their better players, Jalen Ramsey, maybe even Tyreek Hill, are starting to hit that age cliff where you wonder, are they going to tail off? So when I I look at the Jets, I'm with you. I think they have many more ways they can beat you consistently throughout the regular season. Let's start talking about maybe one area of concern on the Bills. Obviously, they lost Tremaine Edmonds. Is there anything about this team, about this roster construction, that kind of keeps you up at night wondering if this could be the thing that holds the Bills back?
2: I think you hit the nail on the head there. there I, I'd say there's probably three areas of concern, two less of, of lesser value than obviously middle linebacker. Losing Tremaine to the Bears was huge. I hope that you know Matt Milano, those kind of guys, they can elevate the level of play with the guys around them. Maybe we're pleasantly surprised by Terrell Bernard. Um, it's a little deflating to see that our, our third round pick this year isn't really even in the competition right now right for for right. MLB so that's that's a little deflating um, I'd say that's the biggest concern maybe maybe two others offensive line every single year it just seems like being a McDermott they just can't quite put the right combination together I think I saw reports Spencer Brown still getting blown up at camp even by by Groot recently but I hope Osiris Torrance can step up and make you know an immediate impact for the O-line I just we want to see Josh protected every single year we say this. Mm-hmm. Um, you have think, to protect
0: 17.
2: Yeah, and I think he was running the ones a couple of times this week in camp, uh, uh, Torrance. So I, although I did see an interview with Mitch Morris, I think he said, don't read too much on who's on the field here. But of course, we're going to get excited for that.
0: Oh, yeah, um, it's all we have. And he he practiced two days with the ones like you said. But that to me leads into a larger conversation because much of my frustration last year was their unwillingness to play their rookies. Uh, James Cook getting limited touches when he looked like clearly the most explosive back on the team. Not being utilized at all in the passing game when that was his calling card at Georgia. Kyrie Elam not gaining on the field when they had so many injuries that they were they were playing um, Xavier Rhodes off the street against New England over Kyrie Elam. I just lost my mind on our post-game show after that. What is going on with Kyrie Elam? Um, so when you look at, Torrance. I think Kincaid's probably a different conversation, but do you trust this coaching staff to empower these rookies to get on the field and work through their mistakes?
2: Oh, trust. That's a big word. Trust is a big word. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle here. You've already kind of talked about it. They really ease in their rookies and I'm still kind of scratching my head at the, at the Elam, Elam stuff and in the CB2 battle. And you would think he could easily beat out Dane Jackson. And then you're seeing Dane Jackson on the field I, I don't know. I, I Especially even with Kincaid, I'm, I'm having, again, like you said, that Bills fan mentality. like Are they actually going to utilize him all over the field and more as a wide receiver? I hope so. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of in the middle there in terms of trust.
0: It'll be interesting to see how it plays out because I do think the best case scenario for this offensive line would be Osiris Torrance to be that starting right guard, and then you have Ryan Bates, as that backup he came into the league as a tackle he can play interior backup at all uh, at the three spots there and that's super helpful but you mentioned dane jackson and that has been a talking point all week and victoria my issue with dane jackson is much more about the fact that i feel like we know who he is he's an okay starter he's not going to kill you but i feel like he's just one of those players that as a fan you're always wanting more from that if he's your starter you're wanting a better outcome maybe a levi wallace type so it's only three days into camp. We all understand that. The pads haven't even come on yet. Uh, we're recording this prior to the practice on Sunday just for FYI. But the fact that by the beginning of year two, Kyer Elam, a first-round pick they traded up for in the draft, and a draft that had Sauce Gartner, the Bills were not in reach for him, but they had Tariq Woolen in the fourth round, and he can't even get on, he can't even get on the field with the ones at the beginning of training camp has to be a little concerning.
2: Absolutely. I'm right there with you. So and and if you even just look up Bean's draft picks over the last however many years, even the last four years, yes, he's hit, of course. but there are just some misses taking so much defense in the first two rounds over the last couple of years that maybe haven't panned out the way we want. So my my heart's a little. I, I am just kind of had that pessimistic optimism, if that makes any sense, but I am right there. I'm just, I'm a little worried, but on all, all you're, you're watching for your bills to be winning this year.
0: So going into this off season, my goal for this team after taking a look at the Bengals who beat them in the playoffs where they have T Higgins, Jamar chase, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, just this embarrassment of riches of weapons was for the bills to upgrade their weapons. And they did go out and they moved the bottom half of their wide receiver depth chart, you know, losing guys like McKenzie and Beasley and Brown, bringing in Hardy and Shurfield. And I think on their own, those could be viewed as upgrades. I don't know. But their big swing was Dalton Kincaid in the draft. On the whole, Victoria, how do you feel about the weapons the Bills have assembled? And have they done enough this offseason to satisfy your need for them to improve their weapons if that was a goal of yours?
2: Oh, right. We, we we are constantly arguing about if Josh has enough help around him. You know, Diggs is getting blanketed. Gabe's ankle is hurt, and he's just not the same guy we thought he would be last year. So, do we need someone else, right? I have been reading really good reports for, for Trent Sherfield out of camp. I think he's going to surprise us. I think he's definitely going to surprise us. I was on the Hopkins train. Definitely can't lie about that. Of course, that name value there, he's, he was getting up in age, but he still would have – he's still going to crush this year with the Titans there. Uh, so I think so much of this answer, when we're looking at the end of this season, it's going to hinge and be emphasized by how much or how little of an impact that Dalton Kincaid will have on this offense, right? They seemingly put all their eggs in one basket because they are you know, like you said, guys like Sherfield and Hardy, those are just – they're not camp bodies, but they're not guys that are going to blow it out of the water for our offense. So, you know, we, we want to see Kincaid just have an immediate impact on this offense. I want to see Gabe Davis come back and step up into a bigger role, but that remains to be seen year after year. We think that'll be the case. And he's just been that downfield playmaker. So I I do though, think we have enough playmakers to get the job done. I don't want to Get too down on that and i'm i'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about kincaid but i'm just Mm -hmm. he's glowing reports are coming out of camp for this kid so i'm so excited to watch him
0: well as we transition now into some of these bills weapons and how they they look in the fantasy landscape you mentioned gabe davis and how you'd like to see him more involved ken dorsey and gabe davis this week came out and said that they think gabe davis has more meat on the bone in the underneath routes he's been a high a dot guy down the field, and Gabe Davis even said that, you know, those are less efficient passes, so his catch rate's going to go down. He did mention the ankle injury he had uh, in the second week of the season that did hamper him as the season went on, and I understand all of that, but Joe Marino on Locked on Bills did a great job of kind of going back through Gabe Davis's career, even dating back to college, and just showing that his metrics on intermediate passes are not efficient routes. The quarterbacks do not have success consistently throwing to him On that zero to 15 yard range he's much more of a high a dot guy so what are your expectations fantasy wise uh, we can kind of blend into there here where do you see gabe davis as a fantasy football player obviously that would also translate to success as a bills player
2: okay so last season the gabe hype was astronomical out of control right he finished that season on that four touchdown game against the chiefs and the hype was out of control he was a really early pick much 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 too early and now the pendulum has swung in the completely opposite direction for the season I just tweeted this a, a day or two ago he's he's going as wide receiver 48 in drafts right now that's late round 11 if you're on a 12 team redraft league I mean there's guys like Odell Beckham and Jacoby Myers and Traylon Burks on the Titans that are going before Gabe so that doesn't make any sense to me I think it's swung way too far in the opposite direction for context, last year he was he finished wide with wide receiver thirty seven in points per game with his bum ankle, his catch rate was barely over fifty percent. I mean, but he's already being drafted over ten spots higher than that. So I, I think he'll be a value this year, but I I I don't have the confidence, especially with I love those stats you just gave on the intermediate passes. I don't have the confidence that he's some PPR monster that's going to finish as a as a you know, wide receiver two, I think he could finish still as wide receiver three. But again, Kincaid might be taking a lot of those looks, some of the looks away. Not that Kincaid's going to be downfield, but I'm hoping he gets peppered with targets. So I think he'll still be a value in drafts, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure in terms of, I wouldn't bank on him being some fantasy superstar, but I'm definitely taking him at his value right now. It's wild.
0: I think my issue with everything you said there about Gabe Davis, him finishing as wide receiver thirty-seven, is in a lot of ways it kind of reminds me of Deshaun Jackson, or maybe even more recently Mike Williams, where that's much more of a guy you want in best ball, where you don't have to figure Absolutely. out what the weeks he's going to explode. You just put him on your roster when he blows up great, but when he goes two for twenty, it doesn't doesn't burn you. Do you think there's a path for Gabe Davis to find that consistency? because I think that the tone of this entire conversation when trying to figure out this bill's offense is somebody has a really good opportunity to shine in fantasy. They are going to throw the ball 600 times. Josh Allen is a superstar and Stefan Diggs is going to get his hundred receptions, but somebody else has the opportunity to really step up and be that number two in a high octane offense. And the fact that Gabe Davis is going in the forties shows some hesitancy that he's going to be that guy. But, To me, I still think he finishes second on this team in targets.
2: I don't disagree there. Absolutely. I honestly like, I'm liking James Cook value a little bit more. I know a different position, but I think James Cook is going pretty late. I think I have this here somewhere, but especially hearing, like you're hearing Dorsey talking about him being a three down back. I mean, they have more confidence in him this year. They're saying he's looking smooth as ever at camp. I personally, not going to lie, I thought, okay, we signed Damian Harris. Are they going to keep James Cook in that change of pace, three, third down pass catching role? And Damian Harris would come in as take the singletary role. But this, the, the drumbeat's going the opposite way here. And I think, I think James Cook is actually going in the RB30 range. I'm going to check that now here. But I'd love James Cook value a little bit more. I know you're... Here's the problem with the Bills offense for fantasy, and it always has been. Diggs is going to eat, and then Josh spreads the ball around to to countless numbers of places. So it's really hard to pinpoint who's going to be that number two that's going to be the second most valuable player on the offense there outside of Josh and Diggs. Yeah, let's
0: talk about James Cook. I think he is a fascinating player to look at because I went back and pulled Devin Singletary's fantasy finishes from fantasy pros And the highest he finished was running back 19, which, what is that, like mid-range RB2? And that was in 2021 when the team had really kind of given up on Zach Moss. And you saw the Bills' way of getting teams out of that too-high safety look was just dumping down to Singletary. There's a Patriots game that sticks out in my brain where it feels like Allen just threw it to Singletary nonstop, and they were just taking the check down. But still, I don't know. Singletary leaving this offense— There is an underrated 61 targets vacated there. And I also want to factor in the Naheem Hines injury, Victoria, because I kind of thought all along that last season, while James Cook did do really well as a runner, there was a lot left there for him to achieve as a pass catcher. And maybe that just came down to trust and pass protection. And I was wondering, could that be a role that Naheem Hines goes into? And they still focused on James Cook, the runner. Well, now Naheem Hines is gone. You know way better than me that, passing game work has never been the, the calling card of Damian Harris. So almost by default, that puts James cook in a situation where he could take on these targets. Um, I did see that um, there's no bills running back since LaShawn McCoy in 2017. that's had more than 188 carries, but on the whole, do you think there is an opportunity here for James cook to finish as high as the running back 19 that we saw Devin Singletary finish in 2021?
2: I think it's possible. It's going to be difficult, though, right? And you mentioned Shady McCoy. He, I think when he was crushing it for us back in 2016, 2017, he was getting at a minimum of like 15 carries a game, you know, four or five targets a game. That's incredible target share and, and opportunity share. And Cook has never once had more than 14 carries last year. He was really only, to your point, hovering around two receptions. Our targets per game so that's the unfortunate part we know the ceiling likely is just not high enough for James Cook to be running back one I won't say never say never but I wouldn't put him on an RB2 conversation like you said finishing top 24 and yes he's I just confirmed he's going right now as RB30 off the board that's decent value for one of the highest scoring offenses in the league I mean you've got in the same in the same draft range you've got guys like I mean, Devin Cook, he hasn't even signed yet, and he's in the same range. You've got Antonio Gibson, A.J. Dillon, Brian Robinson. I would be probably taking James Cook over all of those guys. So his value's there. I just um, i don't know if he has the ceiling to finish RB1 like Shady did. We just – Josh doesn't target running backs as much as uh, they targeted Shady back in the day. So just don't think the ceiling's there.
0: How much does Josh Allen – for lack of a better term, being a ball hog in the red zone factor in to the lack of interest in a Bills running back because much like Cam Newton, Josh Allen at any given play in the red zone could just keep it himself, take it in, and he's probably going to get up seven to 10 touchdowns himself just on the ground.
2: That's always been uh, an argument in the fantasy community that people are just always year after year hesitant to take the Bills uh, starting running back. So some, a lot of people will say, okay, I'm going to take the Damian Harris value because his ADP is much, much, much more of a value than than James Cook. And you, just two years ago, I think 2021, Damian Harris had a 15-touchdown season. I mean, the guy has an opportunity for red zone. I think I'd be more scared about Harris taking away red zone touches from Cook more so than Josh, even though we know Josh is going to do his thing in the red zone as well.
0: So the guy everybody wants to hear about, the number one draft pick, Dalton Kincaid. And when he was drafted, Victoria, I know you heard It's like this is the next next Travis Kelsey, (laughs) and he was going super high in dynasty drafts. But there's also the concern of you don't really see tight ends consistently come in and contribute right away. So just as far as short term goes, we can talk about dynasty maybe next. But in 2023, what are your expectations for Dalton Kincaid?
2: Goodness. So this is tough, right? Because to your point, rookie tight ends just don't produce for fantasy. Typically, it is very, very rare. I think the last was Evan Ingram, and then he kind of disappeared after that until last year. I'm I'm buying the hype. I think the expectations are really high right now, though. I'd say realistic finish for him, maybe in the tight end 12 to 15 range. Um, But I'm buying the hype. It's just... It depends too, right? I'm going to laugh because I'm guessing most people listening to this are Bills fans. People in your league are Bills fans. So those Bills players come off the board probably way too early for me personally to be taking Kincaid um, early. I know I already know my league mates are going to be just snatching him up in round six or something crazy. And so I wouldn't be doing that. So I have a much better outlook on him for just real-life football regular season than fantasy. For Dynasty, though, I'm absolutely all in. I I, I think he's going to be a huge part of the offense in the next coming year. So Dynasty value, definitely very different there.
0: So as far as tight ends go, I I try to get to the point with fantasy analysis where like anybody can just look at a sheet. You put out your list of, hey, it's week four. Here's my top 10 tight ends. Play the guy that's four over the guy that's six. And I get it. But I'm the kind of person like I want to learn how to do this myself and when it comes to like quarterbacks, I can understand like, oh, game script. or they underdog in this game? They're probably going to throw more running backs. Oh, they're the favorite. They might run more. I really struggle with understanding tight ends, Victoria. And I'm wondering if you can kind of help here. So I understand there's like the cream of the crop, the Kelsey, the Andrews, maybe the pits, uh, the Kittles, they, uh, those guys, Goddard. After that, to me, though, it feels like from about six through about 20, those guys are so interchangeable from week to week. Someone like you who does this for a living, what do you look at? How? What do you use to rank these tight ends? Because at this point, I have no idea what to do, and I just steal your work and m- let that make the decision for me.
2: <laughs> okay, well, I just need you to know tight end is the hardest position to predict for fantasy. So you're not alone. We're all kind of in the same boat. It is, a, it is a, the biggest guessing game in fantasy each year. I think outside, to your point, outside of Taking one of the top guys, right, I, you have such a huge positional advantage if you take Kelsey in round one or two. I'm also looking at TJ Hawkinson. I'm looking for guys that have the opportunity for the target share. If you're not getting one of those two guys in the earlier rounds, I'm waiting for a guy like Darren Waller. They're, they're uh, playing for the Giants this year now their reports out of camp is darren waller is just getting peppered with targets from daniel jones that kind of stuff is what i'm looking for because i don't know if you've paid attention to the giants stuff much but they have about 10 different slot receivers on their roster right now so it's kind of like who's this other player that's going to eat and it's likely going to be a waller i think he's going tight end seven or eight so you're getting him in the middle rounds or someone like pat fry i love him for, from over in Pittsburgh, I think he's going to have a great target share this year. He's didn't have as good of a red zone season last year with Kenny Pickett as he did the year before, but I think he's going to be his safety blanket again this year. If I'm not getting those top guys or someone like that in the middle rounds, I'm, I'm looking at a guy like Dalton Schultz. He was on Dallas last year, absolutely crushed with Dak Prescott and went to, over to Houston. Someone like that. He's got a huge opportunity. He's probably one of the best, if not the best pass catcher on their roster right now. He's got the opportunity for the target share. That's kind of what I'm looking for outside of even you mentioned Kyle Pitts. He scares me off a little bit because he's in that higher range where he's getting drafted, but he's not 100% if you're looking at camp reports. He was injured last season, and he's let us down now two years in a row. So I'm waiting till later rounds if I'm not getting someone in those first couple
0: so that's helpful so the trick really is to try to find that tight end like a Dalton Schultz who really has the opportunity to be that first or second target in the offense and then I would spin that around and think would a guy like Cole Komet be less appealing this year because they traded for DJ Moore and because they they have Chase Claypool and you know a a younger quarterback maybe not a high volume offense anyway would that be somebody you'd want to avoid in that later range
2: that's such a good question because I love love Cole Komet as the player but he even, they didn't have, who do they have last year, Darnell, Mooney, and everyone said, Cole Komet's going to be the target share. So, so that logic doesn't always work out. Justin Fields didn't pass the ball very much last year either, so that that was uh, attributable to some of his fantasy finishes. But, yeah, I'm I'm more averse I'm to, uh, I'm avoiding Cole Komet for the most part. Yeah, I think DJ Moore is going to get peppered with targets this year. I know Komet just signed that deal. But he's, I think he's blocking more than he's catching. He would need more red zone looks. And I think you're overpaying. There's a guy in that same range. It's, he's not, it's not a sexy pick, but Bigby, the Rams outside of Cooper Cup, it's wide open. And they're a team we know passes a lot. So that's someone you're, these are the guys that you're hopefully taking in the much later rounds that you're just taking a shot on. And then you're probably streaming the position the rest of the year, meaning you're picking guys up off of the waiver wire for the rest of the time. And, and crossing
0: your fingers. Hoping that they fall into the paint on Sunday. (laughs) Victoria, you have a saying that Josh Allen is daddy. And every time I read that online, (laughs) I laugh. I love it. It's amazing. Austin Eckler is stepdaddy, by the way, which by the way, you may have been like the first person on the Austin Eckler is RB one overall train a couple of years ago. So if you were following Victoria before he became the biggest name in fantasy, you would have made a lot of money on that. But on the Josh Allen point, when I first started playing fantasy football, Victoria, it was really like you would wait on quarterbacks, especially in single quarterback leagues, because the, the, the gap between what they can do at you know quarterback one versus quarterback 12 was just not worth giving up one of those top running backs or receivers. It seems like in recent years, we've seen people maybe go more aggressive over the Mahomes, the Allens, maybe now throw a Jalen Hurts in there. Where are you at with the quarterback position in redraft? How aggressive should you be in, say, like a standard 12 to 14 league redraft one quarterback league?
2: That's such a good question, right? Because over the last probably four or five years, there's always been one late round quarterback that hits. And it's always a rushing quarterback, right? 2019, we saw Lamar Jackson. 2020 was Josh Allen and Kyler Murray both rushing quarterback. 2021, Jalen Hurts, who you just mentioned, and now he's an elite fantasy option. But then you're thinking, okay, this year who could that be? Is it gonna be Justin Fields? Okay, but we have to remember the fantasy community gets smarter every year, too. So right now, if you can believe it, Justin Fields is going off the board as quarterback six. So he's not even a late round option this year. So it's going to be super, super interesting to see who that guy is going to be this year. A lot of people are saying Anthony Richardson, the Colts rookie. I mean, so you're putting – it depends, too. It depends where his ADP is going to fall. I think if he's around quarterback 15 or 16 now, so he would be a later-round pick that definitely has the potential to be that rushing quarterback and give you that value. But you're also not hurting yourself taking an elite quarterback early. I remember last year in um, – my work league, I was we were doing quick, quick clock, maybe 30 or 60 seconds and I'm in the fourth round and I'm looking and I'm, I'm like, I don't want any of these guys. And I just panic selected Josh Allen, Joshua Patrick Allen and all of my work league mates were like, you took a quarterback so early. You're supposed to be a fantasy analyst. I won the league. So it depends how you build around that roster, right? If you are taking a quarterback early, Sure, you're losing out on some value on the other positions. But there's you know that guy's gonna be solid all year, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Mahomes. If you're looking for a guy that's in the middle though, actually got two guys this year that I like that are in the middle or to the later rounds. I think Trevor Lawrence is gonna take a huge step forward this year. I don't know if you've seen the videos with Calvin Ridley, but Mm -hmm. I think they're going to be dynamic this year. I think people are sleeping on the Jags, and I also love Geno Smith still. He's, not again, not a sexy pick, not a sexy name, but they've only upgraded his offensive weapons. He's got a new rookie wide receiver, JSN. He's got Zach Charbonnet, running back. He's got some rushing games in him, so I I love him too as a later-round quarterback.
0: I feel like the Seahawks could be an entire show by themselves because you mentioned Charbonnet. I want to ask you about him in in a bit here, but while we're on the topic of the Seahawks, do you think Geno Smith can support those three big receivers, keeping DK Metcalf in that wide receiver one-ish range, making JSN and Lockett still fantasy relevant, or is that a situation where you're going to have to figure out which one of those guys really shines?
2: This That's always such a tough question. It's It's a similar question on, you know, For the Bengals, right? Tyler Boyd's always the the last guy out of the picture. So, who is it going to be? And of course, with the rookie hype, and I don't want to play down JSN's talent at all. The kid is going to be amazing. But I'm still all in on DK Metcalf and particularly Tyler Lockett. Every single year, this man is disrespected in fantasy football drafts and he finishes as a a top 24 a majority of the time. Even better as a wide receiver, one a lot of the time. So, and I, I do see more consistency out of Lockett. He has this, um, he has this thing in the in the community that he's just inconsistent, boomer bust. But last year and the year before, and the year before that, he just produces. This guy just produces. So I do think JSN probably going to be the odd man out at least for the first half of the year. We typically do see the rookies come into their own after that first half, or maybe after their first buy. So I'm still all in. I don't know about DK being a wide receiver one though. He did lose a slight step in production with Gino last year but not a bad pick by any means
0: don't say that to me victoria i have two shares of him in dynasty i even traded away diggs for him 3 years ago and i, I thought i was genius and diggs has not fallen off at all i don't have to tell you this oh. but you know, diggs has been excellent news flash <laughs> you know dk has been a little bit more hit or miss uh, than i would like to admit um a few more questions for you on on fantasy football here for do you have a preferred format of fantasy football? Because I keep I, I sound like an old man, like back in my day, it was really just like season long. But now we've seen this evolution where you have the daily, you have the guillotine leagues now that are picking up. I, I feel like super flex is almost becoming more the norm where when I go to fantasy pros, that's the default setting. Uh, is, is there is there a particular format you like? Best ball. If if some if the fantasy football gods came down and said, Victoria, you have to play one format of fantasy the rest of your life, and that would be what?
2: Oh, it's a cookie cutter answer. It would be season long redraft. I just it's to hold a special place in my heart because mm-hmm. I have a. I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, this guy made a gif of me for me of the Lion King scene of tossing the tossing Simba off the rock, but it's just a symbol that says dynasty just him tossing it because i i'm just not not a huge dynasty fan of course i play in leagues and it's just the having to pay attention at every second mm-hmm. there's always going to be someone in my dynasty leagues that's more on top of it than me so but redraft i'm locked in all season so that's my favorite um uh, but best ball i love best ball i think you can you can hammer off maybe three, four, five drafts before your actual season-long redraft home leagues to really get you in the groove of where ADP is at and just get those jitters out before your actual league and spend 3 or $5 on each draft and just have a good time.
0: I enjoy Dynasty. I am with you, though. It feels like there's always that one person in the league who just – this is their full-time job. And like they (laughs) are – it's the middle of February, and they're analyzing if they want to send you Tyler Boyd for Chase Claypool. And I'm like, buddy, I have no idea – what that's going to look like in August. I don't want to talk trades with you. So I'm the guy that just lets the trades sit. Yeah. It's probably bad, bad, but so I want to have, I have a couple more questions for you before, before we get you out of here, but I do have a confession to make. I have never admitted this on the podcast, but having maybe Josh Allen's biggest supporter on with me and a fantasy football expert in Victoria, it's time for me to come clean on this. We all have that moment in fantasy football in our lives that we regret. And we still think about like, I, if I'd only done this, I have this dynasty league Victoria that probably is built the way it is. Thanks to you. You have no idea who I was when I was building this team. I was just taking information you put out there and the ball blast um, team put out there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy him, buy him. And I made every right move imaginable all by luck. Like I wanted Sony Michelle, but Nick Chubb fell to me. That worked out fantastic. I'm talking like Josh Allen quarterback, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. This is a 16 team dynasty league. Yeah. My my team is absolutely stacked. And in 2021, I'm in the semifinals, and I lost because I benched Josh Allen. Buffalo Bills fan benches Josh Allen Victoria. I understand if you want to hang up now. They were going to Foxborough to play the Patriots. Deion Dawkins was on the COVID list. And we had just had that weird stretch where they had the, the win game against the Patriots on Monday night. They lost that crazy game to Tampa Bay. You kind of started wondering like, is this team falling apart? There's that thing in your mind, like is Belichick in Josh Allen's head.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm like,
0: I know what I'll do Victoria. I'll start Matt Stafford against the Vikings. Cause the Vikings can't stop the pass. Well, our guy, Josh Allen goes out for like 400 total yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I don't even know if he threw an incompletion quite honestly. And Matt Stafford had four turnovers and I lost by three points. And Oh, my just, gosh. So me, favorite player in all sports, I bench him, and that's the reason I lost. Should I retire from fantasy football?
2: It happens to the best of us, John. It happens to the best of us. I've benched guys like this is going to date me a little bit. Maybe in 2017 or 18, Amari Cooper was doing nothing. He was still on the Raiders five weeks into the season he's probably my wide receiver one at that point i said you know what he's doing nothing he goes off for i think 40 or 50 points that game and i just said what we all have our moments it happens that's what that's what makes it fun that's why we keep going back every single year so
0: and i am laughing thinking about you being in a work league like those people that you work with they really have no idea that'd be like me like Stepping into the ring and boxing Mike Tyson. I, you seem like a really nice person, Victoria. I enjoy your work. I would not be in a fantasy league with you. That is not a fair fight. I, I know my strengths and weaknesses in life and competing with someone like you in fantasy football is just not the path for me. Um, but I do have a couple more questions for you. You mentioned the Seahawks. They must really hate fantasy football because they had a gym last year in Kenneth Walker, and they go out and draft Zach Charbonnet this year, who by all accounts, if he would have gone to the right spot, could have been in that RB one conversation, RB two super hype dynasty buy, but now muddies the waters. How do you see that Seattle Seahawk running back situation?
2: Oh, you know we know one thing: Pete Carroll is going to run the ball. Pete Carroll is going to run that ball. So I'm honestly less worried about Kenneth Walker than than some of some of the community on on Twitter and, and fantasy. So I just don't see Zach Charbonnet coming in and taking half of Kenneth Walker's workload. He'll certainly cut into it, but I think I'll look up while you maybe ask the next question, but I'm going to look up his value now in terms of the rankings. I just think people are way too down on Walker. He's just such a talented kid. He's going rankings, he's around... Aaron Jones, Shamir Gibbs, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders. I I like him in that range, to be honest. People are really high on on Gibbs in Detroit, though.
0: Yeah, I I sold out to get Gibbs in a dynasty league. It's not about me, though. So is that really the strategy at this time of year? You mentioned it with Lockett. You mentioned it the other way with Gabe Davis, where the hype was so strong last year that you were really buying him at his ceiling. Is it really trying to navigate the rankings, the ADP, and finding ways to buy guys at their floor, by the dip, as they say?
2: I think so. I mean, you're always going to have your bad picks or your good picks, in the, but in the middle to late rounds is where you're winning your draft, right? You're going to come out your first three or four picks and be obsessed with your team because these guys are studs, but you're winning your draft in those middle to late rounds. So you're you're just picking the value. I mean, I'm looking at this running back list right now. You've got guys like James Conner and Cam Akers going in the RB 20 to 25 range. These are guys that are going to be the clear-cut starters on their team and get a massive workload. So people might look at that and say, the Rams and the Cardinals, they're not going to be good this year. And think, I just want players on high-octane scoring offenses. That's not always the case either. James Robinson, undrafted running back on the Jags years ago, finished, I think, top five, and they were a horrible team. So it's just there's so many lenses you can definitely take a look at through if that value falls to you and that player has the opportunity there. I think in those later rounds, you're in the later rounds, I do want to say you're reaching for the high ceiling because a lot of the times, sure, there's not going to be as many guys that have that opportunity share that we might be looking for in those mid to later rounds. You're looking for the high ceiling there is where I'm typically going.
0: So last question for you, for folks that may have their drafts coming up right now this week, Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor are two guys that at their best can win you the league. But right now, for different reasons, they're they're holding out or holding in, in Jonathan Taylor's case. How do you approach those players if you have a draft coming up?
2: Oh, that's such a tough question. I mean, I was just in the Scott Fishbowl draft and thinking about those things just waiting for a guy like, uh, you know, Evan Hall to drop to me. That's the new rookie running back on the Colts or Eric Gray. So the hype is going to go up for those rookies. Well, that was for Saquon and he signed now. But at the time when I was doing SFP, I, I took him. So so you never know, right? That's a good example of like you're drafting now. Oh, Saquon might hold out. He signs. And so Eric Gray is on your roster now. And he may or might, may not have that value. For For guys like Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor, I don't think their backups, those rookie running backs, are gonna shoot up draft boards, right? And you never you never know. A guy like Zamir White, he's he's kinda hopping up draft boards because he's the backup to, to Josh Jacobs. But they have they have a running back room there. They've got Amir Abdullah there. The guy's 30 years old, but he's he might still get carries. So you're never gonna get that one to one production from Zamir White if Josh Jacobs sits out. But if you hit and he does. I mean, you're gonna be cashing your checks all the way to the bank. So you do wanna look out as as camp starts to wind down, you do wanna look out for those headlines because you might grab a, a valuable backup running back that gets their shot if anything were to happen with those guys. I did see I did see a tweet right before we hopped on here about the potential of them trading Jonathan Taylor. I just wanna say I don't I don't think that's gonna happen at all. I think they'll work something out. If they don't, that would be wild. I mean, how are you gonna how are you going to go through the season with your rookie quarterback and Anthony Richardson and not have your best player on the field? That would be pretty careless. So Victoria, I,
0: I the, Zach, the Zach Moss slander will not be tolerated on this. Oh, podcast.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> not Zach Moss. If I talk bad about Zach Moss, I know the ball yeah. blast girls are going to come find me. And, and Oh uh, yeah. If they were big yeah. on him, were they? Yes, they were. So, so yeah, you definitely can find value in those situations. That's the problem though is staying up on everything. So. Stay on Twitter and, and watch the headlines.
0: So, if you had a one-two or a one-three pick, I don't know where Jacobs and, and uh, Taylor would go, assuming everything was right. But where would you feel comfortable taking either one of those guys? I
2: already see here too in the, in the rankings on Fantasy Pros, they've dropped Josh Jacobs down to RB nine. They've got Ramondre Stevenson in front of him. I'm not taking Raimondo shoots mm-hmm. over Josh Jacobs. They still got Jonathan Taylor up at six. I don't know if I'd take, I don't know if I'd do that. There's a couple of guys that I, they've got Derek Henry at 10 guys going to smash again. I'm not worried about him. So it all, it all depends. I think Josh Jacobs was in, I mean, he was RB one last year. He was absolutely incredible. So we can't have probably that kind of expectation, but I'm, I'm not shying away from these guys, especially if we see their value drop slightly, you can get them in the, if he's going to drop to that late first, early second, I'm not shying away from that.
0: feels like the best example of of this backfiring and then the backup really coming in and winning leagues was Le'Veon Bell holding out for Pittsburgh and then James Conner coming in and whoever got him late really had like a free RB one on their team. But Le'Veon Bell has even come out since and said he regrets doing that. And I think more and more you're seeing these running backs do eventually show up and start playing. And that would be my prediction for both Jonathan Taylor and Josh Jacobs. I must admit, Victoria, when I saw that uh, Jonathan Taylor was potentially available for trade, I may have looked up his cap hit four and a half million and been like, Hey, Brandon Bean. I mean, I like James cook, but let's win a super bowl. But I don't would not anticipate that happening. Uh, Victoria, this has been fantastic. I would love to catch up with you as the season rolls on. Um, Let everybody know where they can catch you and which, what you got going on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. It's at FFB underscore Victoria and catch me on the football guys website. And I'm probably just going to be hopping around on some more bills podcasts as, as we creep closer to the season. I cannot wait, cannot wait. I'd love to catch up with you later in the season.
0: Absolutely. We, We will talk to you soon for sure. And what's coming up next is Luca and I will be breaking down the AFC West as our rivals watch series gets underway. But before that, we want to talk about our Madden 24 giveaway. Luca and I are very excited about the four copies of Madden 24. We are going to be giving away. Please follow us on Twitter, Bill's chat pod. We have a pin tweet that tells you how you can get involved in this giveaway. There are three very simple steps that you can do to maximize your chances of winning this drawing. Madden 24 is coming out soon. So make sure. You enter for your chance to win a free copy of Madden 24. It's a game that's very important to Luca and I, and we look forward to bringing it to you this season for Madden 24. And through the magic of
1: podcasting,
0: Luca, you're back with us.
1: I am. I'm back. It's amazing. Uh, Victoria did a great job. Of course, that was an enthr- What's a word? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be crazy with my words. It was a fun interview. I, I know you enjoyed it and you messaged me mm-hmm. and everything. And I know you had a great time with that. But I am happy to be back in the driver's seat or the co-host seat with you, my lovely host, Josh. And uh, I'm excited to continue with this podcast now in the in the number two chair, we'll call it. Yep.
0: Yeah, one last time. I want to say thank you to Vic, uh, Victoria Geary for joining us from Football Guys. Absolutely great content. Go follow her on Twitter. She is a wealth of knowledge, not just for Buffalo Bills but for the entire fantasy community. And uh, she has definitely helped me find success in my leagues. Have her help you find success in your leagues. I think she's a bit of a hidden secret in uh, this fantasy community. So we look forward to chatting with her down the road. But, Luca, it is time for us to kick off the 2023 edition of Rivals Watch. And we're going to start with a team that's made some noise this offseason, the Denver Broncos. And last offseason, 2022, they made noise by trading for Russell Wilson, and they were a team that was hot in the preseason predictions. A lot of people thought that the Broncos, with their roster as is, could even challenge the Chiefs and Russell Wilson with what they had on defense, the weapons they had, Sutton and Judy, and we all know the names, and the Broncos could push the Chiefs because they're a more complete team than the Chiefs. It did not pan out. The Broncos went 5-12. and 12. They had Nathaniel Hackett as their head coach for a grand total of 15 games before he was ultimately fired, relieved of his duties, and the Broncos went out this offseason and traded the farm for Sean Payton, the former head coach of the New Orleans Saints. And he inherits a team that last year was 21st in total offense, and they were 25th in total defense. A lot to work on. But, Luca, when you look at this team, With how tied they are to Russell Wilson, the contract obligation they have, there was really no move they could make this offseason at the quarterback position. So I think you and I both understand why, if you're going to be in a situation where you're living with Russell Wilson, you might as well give him the best shot he can have to succeed. And it's hard to think of a better answer than Sean Payton.
1: Yeah, well you you're so deeply invested as you put it with Russell Wilson, just dig deeper to try to get out of that or get something out of that investment by then selling a little bit more, get kind of the crown jewel of coaching that was still available there with Sean Payton and try to see what he can do and work his magic. Because of course you had all that success in new Orleans with Sean Payton working with a future hall of fame quarterback in drew Brees. Look, I'm not saying Russell Wilson is or is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think before last season, it definitely was tipping towards Hall of Fame. Now, after last season, there are question marks there. Um, But it it's rare that I will say this. You have to actually trade picks and do everything you can to then get your coach, because if you don't and you just accept the failure that is Russell Wilson with what we saw last season it's even worse than trading a first plus things to get Sean Payton, because at least you put in the effort and tried to make something out of it. Like that to me shows good ownership. It's a rare, rare, rare circumstance that that is actually the good ownership move, but it made sense to me and well done Broncos for like just recognizing, Hey, let's try to do everything we can to maybe salvage a little bit out of this, because last year was just an absolute disaster from start to finish.
0: You know, my read on the situation was they didn't just trade for Russell Wilson, the quarterback. They pretty much made him the king of the organization. He had his own office. He had his own people in the building. And I think they needed a powerhouse head coach that comes in and outranks him in the organization. That's exactly what they got with Sean Payton, because, you know, He is used to working with superstar level players. He was a coordinator with Tony Romo under Bill Parcells, who did not bow to any player. And that's why his players loved him. He worked with Drew Brees. So I think this has a chance to work well, but it really is going to come down to Russell Wilson and how Sean Payton can unlock his skills. We can talk about what they've done this off season a little bit, but I've, I've been kind of reading up on the Broncos and what it sounds to me like Luca is for years, We've gotten so used to Russell Wilson throwing maybe the prettiest deep ball in the entire sport, and that was just gone last year. And when you look at what Sean Payton has done historically in New Orleans, it's been a focus on the intermediate game, the short game. You think about Michael Thomas just catching 15 passes a game in New Orleans is what it felt like. Um, it sounds like the Broncos are really going to concentrate heavy on the short game. They're not going to try to force bringing back the deep ball with Russell Wilson. It'll be there. They'll take their shots here and there, but they're not going to major in that. They are really going to focus on running the ball. Obviously, the health of Javante Williams is paramount. They brought in P. Ryan to help be that battering ram in the offense. I think this offense has a chance, maybe not player for player, but to resemble stylistically that Saints offense.
1: Yeah, the the Saints office I've it, office office offense that I'm deriving this from or trying to, like, picture it as being is not quite the absolute end of breeze in New Orleans. But like the season or two before that, the the infamous uh, Rams play uh, div, uh, conference final game comes to mind. That offense at that time was very short game based while still having the ability to threaten you downfield. Breeze's arm wasn't completely dead at that point, but it clearly ran through Ingram and Kamara, and there was a lot of short passing game, as well as the run game, to just complement itself that it kept defenses honest, whether you were running or passing it, but then it would suck them up a little bit with then that Hall of Fame quarterback ability once in a blue moon to hit you over top and be able to absolutely kill you at that moment in time and then, of course, Sean Payton just knows exactly when to do that. He knows the timing of that and everything of that nature. So that's kind of what I imagine Sean Payton's going to be trying to do with this offense. I think your read on that is right. That's kind of what I've been getting as well, especially when you see kind of where they've been rebuilding, who they've brought in, things of, that have been going on. Like I see Marquez Calloway. Marquez Calloway isn't anything crazy. He's someone that understands what Sean Payton likes to do and was kind of that, hey, we're going to take a deep shot here because we've sucked in the defense a little bit much with all the short game passing and maybe he's someone that can sneak behind. I think Denver already has players that can do that, but they might be a little bit noteworthy or at least Marquez is a little bit more familiar with how Peyton likes to do things. And maybe that's just another guy they can bring in to kind of familiarize KJ Hamler and the rest of the other guys who aren't familiar with it with then what Sean Peyton's message is. So yeah, I think, I think the offense in general with Sean Peyton coming in will be night and day different from what we saw Denver as a team last year, but I, I do believe that it will be still kind of, you're not going to see Russell Wilson kind of unleashing and just bombing it like he did late in Seattle. I think it's still going to be short game biased. I think you're spot on there. I think Peyton understands that that's more sustainable, that that's more controlling of a game and just is an easy way to find success regardless if your quarterback is MVP level caliber or just still very good in his own right.
0: The one thing that they took away from Russell Wilson last year was his running. And it sounds like Nathaniel Hackett's idea there was to prolong his existence. Don't, don't subject him to those unnecessary hits. We hear a lot of that with Josh Allen. And it sounds like Sean Payton's mindset is this is your last shot. I'm not saving you for anything. You're going to run. It's a, it's a club you have in your bag. Not every quarterback has that. So I am excited to see what happens there. When you look at what they've done this off season, Luca, it does look like they've made a concentrated effort. To build around Russell Wilson, they invested heavily in their offensive line, going out and signing Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey to big free agent deals. Ben Powers was a guy that a lot of Bills fans thought would be an ideal fit for them, but they just obviously couldn't afford him with the limited cap space they had. He's somebody that's a road grader in the running game. A sneaky addition they made was Chris Chris Manhurts, who at tight end is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. And I think that also kind of goes to show where their head is at and then I like their draft pick of Marvin Mims. It was the first pick of Sean Payton. They traded up to get him. When you think about what they did in New Orleans, they had the play action off of a very strong run game with Kamara and Ingram. And then they had Kamara, and then they had Michael Thomas underneath. And then they had their deep ball guy, whether it was Ted Ginn or whoever that year It was. Go deep. Go deep. Your job is to draw the defense deep. And Marvin Mims is a perfect person for that role in this offense. And I can see Jerry Judy very easily fitting in to that Michael Thomas role. If, if Russell Wilson has anything left and we didn't see him completely fall off the cliff, I can see paths to this working, but my overall concern Luca is I don't want to just assume that all of their failures last year were because Nathaniel Hackett was a bad head coach. I do think there were signs that Russell Wilson was starting to hit the wall even back in Seattle.
1: I think there were signs that Pete Carroll did a very good job of understanding and locating what Russell Wilson was starting to decline at and then just was kind of disguising them as best as he could, whether it was just changing how they had a defensive philosophy to back him up and get him on the field quicker and be more aggressive on that side or just had a good game plan to relay to his offensive staff That's like, hey, this is how we're going to utilize Russell, because clearly this is all he does. And I remember if you go back to the tail end of his Seattle days, it was kind of a predictable offense. I don't think that was like because they just didn't like anything else. I think it's because they just knew Russell was limited and what he could kind of execute highly. And they just kept doing it because they trusted that that could still get them over the line, which it really did for the most part. So. I am going to be curious to see what they do with that. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you hundred percent. I think there's something about Russell Wilson where he's not quite that guy anymore, or at least can't be that guy that he was at the peak of his Seattle career. And now it's up to Sean Payton to really devise something to still highlight those things he can do at a high level. And just as we were just, or as I was just saying with Pete Carroll and that offensive staff in Seattle kind of disguise the things that are just no longer working for him because clearly Hackett couldn't do that. Hackett couldn't, Hack it. So it's (laughs) so it's it's going to be a fascinating dynamic because I trust Sean Payton to have that kind of skill, have that ability, that kind of understanding of what's happening in front of him, and just try to maximize what is going on. But I'm with you. I, I do think that there's going to be a limitation just naturally due to Father Time, Russell Wilson's just whatever. I will also just add a tidbit Russell Wilson clearly did not look like he was in kind of like his normal shape. Last Mm -hmm. season, this year, at least from the images and just from the outside looking in, it does look like that fitness might be there, or at least there was a, a real effort to getting back to a more fit level by him. So maybe there's a commitment there, or at least he understood what he did going into last year was just not quite good enough. So maybe it was fitness related as well. Why the production wasn't quite there, but yeah, there's there. It's not all hack it. It's not all, you know, the coaching fault of why everything happened the way it did. It was, you're only as good as the players on the field. If you're a coach and just Russell Wilson was awful to watch. I mean, no one's going to deny that. It was just terrible to watch. And it's not like because of the coach and his calls were the reasons that product was so bad. I mean, Russell needed to execute and he could do nothing of the sort.
0: Let's talk about this defense because there are some intriguing pieces on this defense. I love Sauce Gardner. I think he is terrific, but one-to-one, I think I would take Pat Surtain over him. I think Pat Sertain is excellent. Um, both of those guys, to me, are fantastic. I would love it if they were on the Bills, but I, that's just how highly I think of Pat Sertain. Uh, they've kind of reworked their entire defensive line. They trade away Bradley Chubb at the end of last offseason or at the trade deadline to Miami. And then they lost Draymond Jones in free agency. They brought in Frank Clark from the Chiefs. Uh, they brought in Zach Allen. And then their their big swing was they. I, oh, they brought in uh, Randy Gregory last off season. So the Broncos defense that we were used to seeing for like the last handful of years with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, it's been replenished with Randy Gregory, Frank Clark, um, Zach Allen. I think it can work, Luca. I think they have enough names on defense. I don't think this is the elite Broncos defense that we had gotten accustomed to when it was Miller and Chubb and those guys, Chris Harris. But I think this is a defense that if you complement it with a good enough offense, this team is going to be in a lot of games, and it really does come down to Russell Wilson. What do you think about this defense? Perfect
1: final point. That was kind of what I look at with this defense and think about. It's like, look, Zach Allen doesn't jump off the page but him in on the Cardinals was kind of a very serviceable end. he could play the edge. Well, he was responsible. He was a good tackler, things like that. Like you could rely on him to give you good production. Frank Clark, they bring in Frank Clark still has a little bit of gas in the tank. He can be a guy for them. They have a lot of different guys, DJ Jones, stuff like that, where it's like, they can hold their own. They can with anyone hold their own and keep, this team in games. It's just ultimately going to come down to the offense on it. And if, as we were talking before, if Russell Wilson can figure it out, like how much can Russ figure it out and make things happen for the offensive side of stuff? Because this defense, to me, they're not going to be a top five defense. I don't think I, maybe it all works. I do think I'm with you on Pat certain, not necessarily is like, he's higher than sauce Gardner. I think sauce Gardner might be more of a pure coverage guy than certain. I think certain's the best overall corner. And I'm talking like you're, you're bringing in his open field tackling ability, just run defending, all of that kind of stuff. I think he's the next kind of like premier all around. Nothing's getting around him kind of deal. Um, but overall it's just like, Hey, this defense is good. It's not great. The secondary is definitely going to be able to like carry the front seven. I think you have all pros like Justin Simmons as well. Kareem Jackson's there, like things like that. Like those are big, big guys there. It's like, they should be able to carry their own and at least not get beat over top. They're going to, they're going to understand how to keep the game in front of them. So it's like, okay, if they can keep the game in front of them, if they can be like a top 15, top 10 defense, they should be in every game. And now the offense just has to figure it out. If the offense can at least score a touchdown or at least score more touchdowns than Russell Wilson has toilets, I think they should be able to win a couple more games than they did last season. And uh, we'll just have to see on that.
0: One big thing to watch for them will be if their star running back, Javante Williams, can come back off of that ACL injury. He did not start training camp on PUP. That's certainly an encouraging sign, but we'll see what kind of form he's in. Luca, the Broncos are on the second longest playoff drought active in the NFL, only to the New York Jets. It's been seven years since the Broncos have made the playoffs. Uh, Obviously a tough division ahead. We're going to get into some of those foes, but How concerned are you about this week 10 Monday night football matchup with the Buffalo bills playing host to the Denver Broncos?
1: I am concerned more than I would be if Sean Payton wasn't the head coach. Um, And I say it in a very specific way, like that, I mean, it's a pretty obvious way as well, but it's like, look, this team is not one that I'm really concerned about. I just think it needs the proper guidance. It needs to be coached well. And it's like, If you could ask for anyone to coach this team, Sean Payton's top three on that list. And I'm saying anyone, whether they're available or not. And it's like, okay, by week 10, I think Sean Payton will have a very good pulse on the team. He'll have a very good understanding of who he's got that works and who he's got that doesn't. And by that point in time, you would think a team would be a well-oiled machine barring injuries that they would have figured it out. So by that point in time, they're coming in understanding what the message has been from Peyton. They kind of understand the playbook when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, you would think. So it's like from there sitting here in late July, come August, it's like, is it going to be good enough? It could I don't know, but overall, I think the bills are a better team. So I'd probably, if I had to like put a one to 10, like how threatened am I by the Broncos for that week, 10 game, I'd probably put it at a six where it's like moderately threatened. And it would have been probably a three or a four. If say Nathaniel Hackett was still coaching this team, I wouldn't be threatened at all. It's just the Sean Payton factor is a real thing. And being that it is all the way down to week 10, as long as they stay healthy, they should have that figured out, or at least Sean Payton should have things figured out and at least getting the most out of this team at that point.
0: I like the fact for the Bills that this game is week 10 because I think if you're going to play the Broncos early in the year, there's a chance that Sean Payton's going to throw things at you that just, quite frankly, were not on film last year, and they're going to be a hard team to prepare for. By week 10, all the tricks will be out of the bag, and it will come down to how much skill is left in that team. And who matches up better i'm not overly concerned about this game i see the path for the broncos being decent in my mind luca this is a team that looks to me from the outside of kind of already planning for life after russell wilson you look at some of the free agency moves they made bolstering their offensive line. It looks to me like a team that kind of understands they could be in the quarterback market next offseason, and they want to surround them with good offensive linemen like a McGlinchey, like a Powers. They hope they have a good running game with Williams and P. Ryan. They should have good weapons there with Judy Sutton and hopefully Mims. And obviously, Sean Payton would be an awesome coach for a young quarterback. But the million-dollar question, Luke, is what will the Broncos record be in 2023?
1: I think I'm going to come in a little high here. I think the Broncos are going to bounce back in a way that'll surprise a few people. Overall, I think they're going to be 10 and seven. The reason I get to that 10 wins though, if you really break down their schedule, it is a quite easy schedule. I think they win the games they should win and they're going to lose the games they should lose. The bills game is a game they should lose. I think they will end up losing that game. And then, you know, two games against the chiefs, those are losses. I think they got to win over the Chargers in there just because the Chargers might charger themselves, you know, not to kind of get ahead of ourselves because the Chargers will be coming up later in this episode. But overall, I think the, the Broncos will be better than what we saw last season, but overall just kind of win the games they should lose the games we expect them to and just go on with their day is 10 and 7 going to be enough to make the playoffs. We will have to wait and see that's really on the fringe I just don't see them necessarily as a playoff team, but I don't see them as a bad team either. They're kind of just an average at best, maybe slightly above average and kind of, will just go on with their business week on week out. And so we'll have to see how it goes and things like that. But 10 and seven is kind of where I have them pegged.
0: I'm going to flip it. I'm going to go seven and 10. They remind me of maybe a drought bills team where they start off hot. I think I could see the Broncos winning some games early and you're like, Oh, look at Sean Payton coach of the year. But eventually Cream rises to the top. They're going to have to play the Chiefs twice. I'm not as confident they'll get one from the Chargers. The Bills are obviously a super tough out. And, you know, the Jets and the Dolphins, I think, outclass the Broncos if they play up to their level. So I I think it will be tough for the Broncos to win a bunch of games. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see. They are certainly a team. Some of the comments Sean Payton made recently that has a bit of a spotlight on them as we kind of see how Russell Wilson finishes up his career. Because you brought up a great point he has a path here to finish his career in a certain way that does get him to Canton. And it doesn't have to be him hoisting a Super Bowl trophy for the Broncos. Just stack a couple successful seasons together. And I think he's in that conversation, but right now I, I think the way it went last year, he needs to, he needs to have a bounce back year to really, really push that conversation forward. Speaking of pushing conversations forward, Luca, let's talk about the Broncos division rival, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I got to tell you, Uh, I, it's right in front of me. It says Las Vegas and in my brain, I still want to say Oakland. So that says a lot about me. It (laughs) says a lot about where my brain's at. And quite frankly, it probably says a lot about my intelligence level. You wrote out Las Vegas in front of me. And I had to really think about it for a second, six and 11 last year, third in the division. Uh, but quite honestly, Luca, it's almost irrelevant to talk about too, too much that happened with the Raiders last year because they made a change at the most important position quarterback despite being the 11th overall offense in the entire sport uh Derek Carr out Jimmy G in we're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of this team but let's just start right there what do you think about that swap
1: that's Josh McDaniels making an executive decision both because of money and because what he wants out of this offense I think overall um I think it's more about money. Naturally. I think there was obviously a huge sum of money due for Derek Carr and it just made absolutely no sense as a business to pay him that said amount of money. But then it was just kind of that easy crutch to lean on where it's like, Hey, because we don't want to pay you this, they gave him that deadline. They eventually released him. And it's like, now we can just go get a guy that Josh McDaniels is comfortable with, happy with that can run the offense that he wants to run. And it just so happened that Jimmy G was (laughs) going to hit the market and come right on over. And Jimmy G is naturally uh, familiar with what Josh McDaniels likes to do. So it just kind of like things lined up for McDaniels and it just, even before it happened, I think the media ourselves, everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall, both for Carr and Jimmy G and this switch to happen in Las Vegas at the quarterback position.
0: I didn't understand the Jimmy G move. I understood moving on from car. It felt like they'd maybe hit their ceiling with car. And I'm with you like that financial commitment to car car to me has always been a good, not great quarterback where I feel like if he's your quarterback, you're probably always kind of left wanting more, but I do wonder how much of going out and pursuing Jimmy G was Josh McDaniels trying to preserve his own job security because he does not have a great resume as a head coach yet. He only is in his second season for the Broncos or for the, excuse me for the Raiders, but previously with the Broncos, he had a 378 percentage win percentage as head coach. It did not go well. He also quite similarly tore the house down in Denver, trading away a proven quarterback in Jay Cutler, who was a young pro bowler at that stage of his career, trading away an all pro wide receiver in Brandon Marshall. Folks in Denver still talk about how much they hate Josh McDaniels. And so I think there's a realistic chance that he brought in Jimmy G because he thought I don't think I can withstand going four and 13 this year and really setting the table up to make a run at a quarterback in next year's draft because it might be another coach here drafting that quarterback. So it, in a way, it kind of resembles a drought bills team where it becomes more about self-perseverance than it, than it our self-preservation, excuse me, uh, versus like the actual best move for the team. But when I look at this team, Luca, they are a disaster. They are an absolute mess. Uh, their second best player on offense, assuming Devonte Adams is their first, Josh Jacobs is in the middle of a franchise tag holdout. That does not seem to be going well. I think there is a very high likelihood that Josh Jacobs is not on the field week two when the Raiders come to Buffalo. Uh, Devonte Adams has voiced his displeasure about trading or getting rid of Derek Carr because that was one of the primary reasons he came to Vegas. They traded away Darren Waller, who is tearing up Giants camp, and they brought in Michael Mayer to and, and to and Austin Hooper to replace him. Those aren't bad names by any means, but they're not Darren Waller. And they had a really bad offensive line last year, and they essentially chose to run it back. The only veteran addition they made to their entire offensive line, get ready for this, Bills fans, was Greg Van Roten. So now you have Jimmy G on a bad foot behind an inconsistent offensive line and potentially no Josh Jacobs to hand the ball to. I like Jacoby Myers. I think Jacoby Myers is a very underrated player, but all in all, I, I don't think that Jimmy G is set up to succeed here. I don't think the Raiders are set up to succeed here. And I think this is a team that could be very much in the conversation for
1: top five draft pick. It's a fair assessment to make. It is <laughs> like, I'm trying to be the optimistic lens here because you definitely came down on them very uh, quickly. And it's funny because last year, looking at the Raiders with Carr and everything they had done at that point in time, bringing in Chandler Jones, who is still on the roster right now, I was like, man, this team is one that I could be like see sneaky good. At that time of course we were thinking what are the Chiefs going to do without Tyreek Hill? Maybe there's an opportunity to be had in the AFC West. Of course we know what happened last season and it was like we are all fools for questioning number 15 in red, which we will also get to later in this episode. But The Raiders have come a long way since I thought they would be sneaky good. And I do look at the roster and I'm like, man, there's still a lot of good things. I think as long as Josh Jacobs is on the field, he's still a premier running back in this league. You have the wide receiver core with Devontae Adams leading the way. And Jacoby Myers is very solid in his own right. I think Jimmy G is um, an above average quarterback. It's funny, like Jimmy G is the bottom of the tier that Derek Carr is at the top of the tier of. I think the thing that separates them is not a whole heck of a lot, and they're both in that exact same tier. And I think you could probably, and this is probably where McDaniels is coming from, it's like, look, we can pay half the money to then bring in a Jimmy G and get a basically the identical production out of. You just have to be more creative with how you create the offense with Jimmy G because he's a little bit more limited, whereas Derek Carr might be able to just pop up a effort throw once in a while and it actually works out. So that's good. You look at, we didn't go too much into the defense, so I don't want to go into that. It's like they have names there as well, but it's like overall there's just so much chaos going on, which I mean, it's the Raiders, so. Should we be surprised? No, but there's so much chaos going on and questionable decision making that it's like, will they be able to do anything that turns it around? Will they be able to just kind of figure it out and kind of advance forward and not take a massive step back after getting rid of one of your best weapons and Darren Waller and then reshaping the quarterback position? It's it's a lot going on that. Yeah, it definitely throws up a lot of red flags where you really have to question if anything of a positive nature will come from this team this season.
0: Yeah, and they have some names on defense, and I will tell you that I am very confident that Bills will beat the Raiders week two. We'll get into the predictions here in a second, but the one thing that gives me pause, and I'm doesn't make me nervous, I'm not going to be kept up at night, but I will tell you, as we go through this Rivals Watch series, Luca, the teams that are going to concern me until I see otherwise are the teams that can bring edge heat. And for all the flaws with the Raiders, you mentioned it, they have some edge rushers. Chandler Jones and Max Crosby are in that conversation for best edge rushing duo in the entire sport. And then they spent a premium draft pick on Tyree Wilson, who if his foot is right, a lot of foot injuries going on in Vegas. If his foot is right, he is a ridiculous athlete and he has a chance to blossom into something special. So not knowing what's going on with Spencer Brown was last year, kind of an anomaly. You know, Deion Dawkins didn't have his best year as a pro The teams that can bring edge heat will make me nervous, but overall it's hard for me to see a path really for the Raiders to come here week two and win a game, unless it's one of those slop fests like we saw when the Colts came to town in 2021 and the bills fumbled the ball a few times, missed tackles, wide wide open guys going to the end zone. Uh, But what is your
1: confidence level in the bills heading into that week two matchup? Uh, That one to 10 scale. This is a two. This is one where I'm like, look, They should be healthy at that point in time. The edge rushers are literally the one thing that bring it from a one to a two. I don't know if I necessarily have the confidence like I did going into the season opener against the Rams last season. Well-documented. If you want to see how confident I was, go back and check it out. But, that was a one-of-one one moment. I just, it was writing on the wall in my head kind of deal. Like, it was going to happen the way exactly what it was. I was off by a single point in my prediction. That's how confident I was in that game. I'm not confident to give a score prediction. It's a week two game to begin with. But overall, I mean, this would be, I I don't want to call it cataclysmic if the Bills lost this matchup. But it's like, look, it's, it's approaching that. Especially if they were to able to. Do the job week one in New York, kind of hush the haters and hush the the New York Jets hype that is happening right now. And then come into this game and just have that massive letdown like that's what it would be is a massive letdown and questioning a lot of different things. If you were to able to, to take care of it week one and then on a little bit of a short week, all of a sudden not be able to take business, take care of business against this um, subpar Raiders team. I'm trying to be polite to them. You know, it's like, look, there are some guys I like on that team as you know, individual players, but yeah, it's a two. It's like, like, I'm not worried whatsoever at this point in time about this game.
0: I guess the other thing that would maybe give me slight concern is that they have some dudes in their wide receiver core. <laughs> like Devonte Adams can wreck a game and you know, Tredavious White sounds like he's doing well in training camp so far, but I mean, uh, Devonte Adams is a different breed and you know, I like Jacoby Myers a lot. I think Hunter Renfro can get some stuff going in the slot. So, you know, if Josh Jacobs is back, then they do have some weapons. Um, it really depends on, is Jimmy G healthy? He's practicing. We mentioned that. Uh, but overall, Luca, I think we covered the Raiders pretty well, but it's time for you to give your Raiders record prediction.
1: The Raiders were 6-11 and 11 last year. Uh, some found it shockingly disappointing, mine included. Um I just went right back to it. Six and 11. This just It feels like a six and 11 team. They're not going to quite be potentially a top five pick. They're going to be just on the outskirts of that at that six and 11. But it feels like this team is going nowhere. So why not just have them do exactly the same thing? Why not have them just duplicate all the kind of unfortunate circumstances that happened last season? Overall, they're going to be a six and 11 team. You'll probably see a McDaniels firing at some point if they do have a six and 11 season. And it's uh, yeah, there's just there's nothing about this team that screams success to me. It's like, look, you're relying on kind of Marcus Epps, who's not the greatest safety. And if he can't play, then Jaquan Johnson, a guy we are very familiar with, is going to have to get some game time. That's not exactly a confident backup you have there. Like there's no depth to this team, although. If you need depth, you've probably already gotten into yourself into some issues in the first place. You have a Josh Jacobs concern, which is their biggest offensive weapon. It's the key to the offense. It's the key to a Jimmy G offense. You need that running back threat. If he's not there for the early stretch of the season, I just you're not getting what you need out of Amir Abdullah or Brandon Bolden. That's just not going to happen. I mean, they're going to rely on Zamir White in his second year. Uh, I don't know. I just don't see it. So, yeah, 6-11. and 11.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too. I'll go five and 12. I, I give Jimmy G credit if he can play a full 17. I, I wouldn't predict he does, but I think he's the kind of quarterback that can keep a team in a game and steal a couple games. But this roster is pretty deficient. There's not a lot of talent on it besides the few of the high-name guys we mentioned. And uh, I, I think this is kind of a combustible situation. I, I would not anticipate that they come and, and beat the Bills and the Bills home opener going across country like Luca mentioned. If If that were to happen... Uh, That would be a really, really bad sign for a team that is trying to prove the doubters wrong to come out in September and lose a game to these Las Vegas Raiders. Let's talk about a team that I'm super excited to get into, the Los Angeles Chargers, Luca. And I'll I'll line them up here. I'll kind of go through the overview, but I'm really excited to make a point about how much they remind me of the Bills. Uh, but I will get to that in a bit. That's kind of a teaser. But they are coached by head coach Brandon Staley, who has a record with them of 19 and 14. He's going into his third year. Interesting note on Staley. Um, when he was hired two years ago after the 2020 season, it sure sounded like Brian Dayball was the front runner. And then the Bills beat the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round. And Brandon Staley was hired two days later. And I wonder, Luca, before we even get any more into this, do you think this was a situation where the Chargers panicked, got impatient, saw coordinators getting hired with new coaching staffs and were like, we've seen teams do this before. We can't afford to wait another week. And if the Bills go to the Super Bowl, we're waiting two or three more weeks. We just got to get our guy now. And, And what a misstep that would be if that's what cost them Brian Dable.
1: I think impatience is kind of the key. I think the owners and the organization just were impatient and they already liked the interview that they had with Brandon Staley. I think they probably did like a few things about him and were, I bet, I wonder if the bills beating the Ravens then had them readdress things a little bit. We're like, are we comfortable with Brandon Staley? Then the responses were yes. And then they just made the decision to pull the trigger and hire Brandon Staley with the unknown of, are they going to be able to get Brian Dable? And, um, yeah, that would be a, boy, would that be <laughs> what a screw up? That would be honestly, I, I'm not exactly the biggest Staley fan. We'll get into it further. Yeah. I am not a Brandon Staley guy. So, uh, yeah, that would be a big mishap to be impatient with your coaching hiring. Cause I just wouldn't understand it. It's like, if you like a guy better, or you at least want to hear someone else out more, be patient and make sure you do make the right hire, especially understanding what you have in front of you. Cause I think at that point. It was just after Herbert's rookie season or did they direct? I'm trying to think that timeline there. I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, that, that would be after the, his rookie season. If I do recall, correctly. So yeah, yeah. It's like you now have this hopefully gem in your franchise quarterback. So you need to make the right hire at that point. Yeah, that's yes. That would be impatience and boy, would that be a blunder?
0: They were a 10 and seven football team last year. They finished second in the AFC West. They lost in the wild card round of the Jacksonville Jaguars in a classic Chargers gonna Charger fashion. Oh yeah, had a 27 point lead and watched it erase at the hands of Trevor Lawrence. And the Chargers had that bad taste in their mouth all off season. They have the eighth overall offense last year, third again, third with the pass, thirtieth with the run, and then last year their defense was thir- was thirteenth overall. 26th against the pass and fifth against the run. That does not sound right. I think my notes might be flipped there because they were historically bad against the run. I'm thinking I have that flipped because they were 26th against the run because everything I've read on them (laughs) is how bad their run defense was. And that's what we're going to go with. Um, Okay, Luca, talking about the Chargers, we can get into the nuts and bolts, what they've done this off season. But I have to tell you, this team reminds me so much of the Bills. And I'll tell you why. I think they're a team that nationally we have fatigue on it's we see all the talent. We see the Derwin James, the Bosa and the the quarterback, the quarterback that's a shining that we keep hearing is this shining star, but then he can't seem to get it done in January. And that is the narrative on Josh Allen right now, fair or unfair from a national perspective. But as people that pay really close attention to the bills, we can sit here and say, look, this Bills team dealt with a lot last year. Von Miller was out. Micah Hyde was out. Jordan Poyer was being held together by duct tape. Tredavious White was not the best version of himself. Uh, they, they watched a player die on the field and get revived. They were out of gas. They had to have a, game mo- a home game move to Detroit because of a blizzard. They got snowed in on Christmas in, in Chicago and couldn't see their families. This team went through a lot. There's a lot of reasons. One of their best defensive linemen, Daquan Jones, missed their playoff game kind of out of nowhere. So there was a lot working against the Bills last year, but the national narrative doesn't really care about that. The national narrative is we believed in the Bills. We all picked the Bills. The Bills got to the playoffs and they were out with kind of a whimper. What does that have to do with the Chargers? We just said it. Chargers going to Charger. Ha ha ha. They lost a 27 point lead in the playoffs. And from somebody who just watches the Chargers from afar, that's really all you need to have to have a Chargers conversation. But When you look under the hood of this team and what they actually dealt with last year, they have a laundry list of reasons why their season did go off the rails. JC Jackson was on season-ending injured reserve. He didn't play in the playoff game. Their excellent offensive tackle, Rashawn Slater, season-ending injured reserve, similar to Micah Hyde. He had gotten activated and was ready to practice and may have been able to play had they advanced further in the playoffs. That never came to fruition. Joey Bosa was on IR from October 2nd to January 1st. He was not the best version of himself in the playoffs. Keenan Allen missed eight games. Derwin James missed three games. They had 15 players on IR by the end of the season. And Luca, your guy, Brandon Staley, I'm saying that facetiously, for whatever reason, decided to play Mike Williams in a meaningless Week 18 game, got their best deep threat wide receiver hurt, and he missed the playoff game. So we can laugh about Chargers going to Charger and we can talk about how this team is cursed and and they're never going to live up to the hype. And similar to the Bills, they had that splash off season where it was like, we're going to go out and get Khalil Mack. We're going to go get JC Jackson. And then JC Jackson, he's out before the season really gets going. Similar to Von Miller. I think there is a real path that the Chargers are pretty close to the team we thought they were going to be last year, as long as they don't have this domino effect of chaos that, that happened to them. But, um, am I crazy? Cause that, when I look at the chargers, I see this talent on this roster and I'm like, you know, there's a lot to work with here.
1: Well, first and foremost, that question, are you crazy? That's one we would probably have to get on a separate episode or maybe even open up a different podcast. On. Let me just sit but-
0: back and lay on your couch <laughs> and tell you all my issues.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, but overall, you're not crazy to think these things about the chargers. That being said, look, chargers fans themselves will even just say, none of this is surprising. This is exactly what we go through season time after time after time. And you do these things and it's always self-inflicted. It feels like whether it really is it or not. I mean, injuries are not self-inflicted. The JC Jackson isn't shredding up his knee on his own doing just because it's like, well, I'm part of the chargers. Now I got to do it. It's like, those things are not happening, but at the same time, it's just like, it feels like that's just what happens with that organization. They always have the great cloud above them. It, it's. I want to be the negative person on this one. I want to be that individual. It's like, until proven otherwise, until I see a Chargers team, if LT comes back and is just a beast once again, until I see a team that proves me otherwise, I will never believe in this world that a Chargers team can actually find success. And I think the key to this team is nothing to do with the players on the field because they have a team that should be able to handle and win Any game possible, even in the division against the Chiefs, they have shown that they can go into Kansas City with a team very similar to this one with Herbert under center and win a football game at Arrowhead. They have done it already. The problem is Brandon Staley. This guy just doesn't understand how to be a head coach in this football league. He doesn't understand the 60 minutes mindset the week to week. Clearly, he doesn't know how to run a team of men and manage a game all at the same time. He just he always seems to screw things up right at the worst time possible with whatever the task is at hand, whether it's man management, like the Mike Williams example, whether it's handling game time management, whether it's you have an opportunity like making the postseason and still finding a way to screw it up, even when the entire world sees in front of them what you should probably be doing because you want to go and do something else. It's like, look, it's okay to do the thing that makes the most sense. It's okay to do the simple, logical thing. It's okay to man-manage when you already have the postseason locked up and make sure that your key star wide receiver, Mike Williams, doesn't get hurt, especially as you're dealing with injuries elsewhere. Like, no one's going to fault you for that. It might almost make too much sense, so don't overthink it. And sadly, this brainchild, Brandon Staley, overthinks everything. It just doesn't figure it out. I don't mean to bury an individual that I have never met in my life, but boy, he does not do himself a good job to figure it out and make me think otherwise. Then this guy just overthinks everything and he has no idea he's out of his depths at time on trying to figure things out in the National Football League. And he honestly probably shouldn't be a head coach because he has shown time and time again how to do things the wrong way.
0: One thing he did this offseason, which I do applaud, was he fired his offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, and brought in Kellen Moore, the former Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator. And the big change that we anticipate that will mean is much more of a downfield passing presence in this offense. That felt like something that, for whatever reason, was just not a part of their game plan. And when you look at this Adonis of a quarterback with Justin Herbert and you have Mike Williams, who's one of the better downfield threats in the sport, And I know Keenan Allen gets typecast as this underneath slot guy, but Keenan Allen can run deep. He can go deep on you. I think he has ways to beat you deep that go outside of just speed. And then they drafted Quentin Johnston in the first round of the draft, I think, with the idea of him having a chance to be their downfield threat. Maybe that's his role this year. Offensively, Luca, there is no reason why this team Shouldn't rank up there with the best in the sport. When you look at the quarterback, you look at the weapons. If Rashawn Slater is healthy, they have Zion Johnson coming into the second year of his career. This team is ready to roll. I have a lot of faith in Kellen Moore,
1: and I expect big things from this offense. This is a top five offense on paper. Unquestioned. This is an offense where you look at top to bottom in the trenches out wide in the backfield. Of course, with Eckler, everyone there. This is top five. There, it's it's so hard to think of a reason that this team can't be successful beyond injury if they can stay healthy, which for the Chargers is a big question mark. I mean, Keenan Allen, although doesn't really have I think Keenan Allen even has a, a knack for being like, oh, he's, you know, high injury risk. He actually isn't he's, he's He misses games or he's not 100 percent a lot, you know, here and there. But he's still, I mean, I can't remember the exact stat I wish I had in front of me. It's one of the biggest misconceptions, like in the fantasy world, people like to avoid Keenan Allen because they think of an injury prone guy, but he actually doesn't have a track record that backs that up of recent. So I never understood that one on top of what you said is accurate with Keenan Allen, by the way, like he's a slot guy. He's an underneath guy. It's like, no, he, he can still get you deep. And he's like one of the more reliable hands in the league as well. Like he can do it all. So I I don't see how this team doesn't find success unless they are unable to stay healthy. The biggest question though is healthy. And I feel like the chargers just have kind of that bad luck when it comes to that. Of course we have the JC Jackson injury. He's going to be coming back at some point. We'll see how that goes, but it's like what happens next? Like Bosa's both of them for that matter, just seem to have a little bit of health issues. Maybe that's because they're too big of gym rats that they unfortunately pick up little knocks or whatever it is. But they just, there's always something that's off with this team and stuff like that, which might cost them a win or two, but if they can remain healthy one more time, I'll say it. This is definitely a top five offense that should be able to score with anyone, take anyone on and be able to win any game possible.
0: I was listening to a Joey Bosa interview from last week, and he was talking about their off season edition of Eric Kendricks. And Eric Kendricks was a guy that I will tell you, when the Bills lost Tremaine Edmonds, he was on my short list of guys that the Bills should go after because I thought he was a cheap solution for middle linebacker. And Joey Bosa said something that I found very interesting, Luca. He said, what's the difference with having Eric Kendricks as your middle linebacker versus what the team had last year? And the big emphasis for the Chargers is stopping the run. And he said, this is a veteran. He's a former all-pro player. Everybody in that huddle leaves the huddle knowing what their job is. And when you think about it, when you think about run defense, communication is key. Being on the same page is key. We talk about this, like it's not just about who's the best football player between Tyrell Dodson, Baylin Specter, and Terrell Bernard, but who can make sure that all the other 10 guys on the field know what they're supposed to do in a quick manner. Cause the next play is coming. I think there is a chance that Eric Kendricks can kind of be the glue that holds all that together. And, I I know everybody sounds great this time of year. Everybody's talking up their teammates, but it was something about the way Joey Bosa said that, that made that click in my brain and think that could be one of those sneaky off season additions that we didn't maybe think too much about when it happened. That might be exactly what they needed.
1: Yeah. They might've just needed a different voice and just a different understanding of how to do off or defense. And as you said, like everyone just needs to understand their job because as you put it perfectly and run defense, especially, I mean, past defense as well, it just, running defense in general. Okay. You need to have good communication, good trust. We talked about that already when it comes to our own defense here in Buffalo, but it's like, maybe that voice just wasn't there. Maybe someone wasn't able to kind of hold that down. And then just simple things like gap assignments or understanding what your gap is for certain run defensive looks just wasn't happening and that's why they were getting gashed on the ground by any team including the Houston's of the world which I believe Houston had over 250 yards on the ground on them at one point either that was last season or the year before but I will never forget that game that was just the wildest sight of all time it's like Joey Bosa and Cleo Mack are out there with everyone else and all of a sudden you have Houston just running free on them and it's like this doesn't make sense this doesn't compute what is going on how is this even possible so Yeah. Maybe that is, maybe that's a sneaky pick. I'll wait to see it. As you said, this is the time of year where there's a lot of smoke being blown when it comes to just kind of pumping up your own teammates, making it feel good and stuff like that. It's like, that's one where it's absolutely could be a key thing. And I think it's a great highlight by you, but I still want to see it to believe it at this point. Cause when, when I saw what I saw on the field last season, as you put it historically awful run defense, it's like, Okay, let's see if it actually matters. Let's see if that is a thing, because there's also a reason that Kendricks is no longer in Minnesota. They felt like his time was up there, and he might not quite have all of what they needed up there anymore for their defense, and he found himself in L.A. on the Chargers now.
0: It's wild to think that the Chargers have gone from Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers to now Justin Herbert. A span of Drew Brees was drafted in 2001. They have had top-notch quarterback play. And they don't have a Super Bowl appearance. They have one or two—I can't remember off the top of my head—conference championship one, conference championship appearance, where Philip Rivers was was playing that game through a torn ACL. Um, they probably should have played Billy Bullock if I remember correctly, and they ran into the undefeated Patriots. Um, it's just wild when you when you people try to minimize the fact that oh, the Packers only have two Super Bowl wins when they had Hall of Fame quarterbacks stacked, and it's it's just not that easy. And the Chargers in a lot of ways are similar to the Bills now, where we're questioning, did we get our guy at the wrong time? Like we waited two decades for Josh Allen. And are we gonna New York Knicks thing? Nick New York Knicks this thing, like when Michael Jordan was in the league, the Knicks were really good. They had Patrick Ewing, but they could never get over the Bulls. And we wonder like, is Patrick Mahomes just the guy that's gonna keep us from having this great quarterback win a Super Bowl? Imagine how the Chargers feel. I, in a lot of ways, if they're honest with themselves, they probably approach every season like a lot of the drought bills teams did where the division championship may not even be a real consideration because you have the most consistent team with the most consistent coach and the most consistent quarterback ahead of your division. So you start every year already feeling like you're one of 12 teams competing for three wild card spots. That's not a good place to be. And um, so I, I do empathize with Chargers fans that are frustrated and feel like there's a gray cloud over their head. I do think this is a very talented team. And if you take divisions out of it and you stack the AFC one to 16, they would easily be in my top five, maybe even my top three. Uh, but as the no, top three was strong, I don't know why I said top three, top four. Uh, but um, I, I think this week 16 matchup with the Bills has a chance to be an absolute show. It could be a shootout. It's certainly going to have implications probably for both teams. And uh, I'm interested to hear what your fear factor level is on the Chargers game week 16.
1: This is a legitimate fear factor. I mean, all eyes. I mean, this is the, what is it? uh, December 23rd. You're the lone game, Saturday night, holiday weekend. You know, everyone's going to be kind of watching football at this point, whether they're with their family or not. I will be even potentially at this point on the island, visiting the wife's family and stuff doing whatever it is there. But of course, I'm only going to be caring about this game. Everyone's going to be caring about this game and we're in their house. Now, there's some questions on if that really matters. L.A. might not be the most passionate fan base when it comes to showing up to their home stadium and supporting their team in a rowdy and kind of noteworthy way that is a problem like a, you know, like we have here in Orchard Park or an Arrowhead in Seattle, things like that. L.A.'s not there. So that's where it's like, at least it's that kind of atmosphere they have to go into. We've already seen this team go into that exact stadium, playing a team that plays in that stadium, and just giving them the business. This is not the Rams of last year, though. This is a very, very, very good Chargers team. On the scale of 1 to 10, I put this at a very, very firm. I mean, I'll put it at 7, but boy, I want to put it at 8. Like, this is is a true test game. This is going to be a game where... To me, for the Bills, depending on where they find themselves, you know, at this point in the season, this could be make or break win the conference, or at least conference seeding wise, this could be a massive game for them on figuring out where they're going to seed if postseason. If, oh God, I can't believe I said if postseason. You're but you're such a hater. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where they will stack up in the postseason standings to figure out where they're going to have to go through and what they will have in front of them come playoff time. When you look at the Bill's schedule, it really ramps up at week nine
0: when they go to Cincinnati. Then they come back for this Broncos game. We already talked about week 10, but then it's Jets at the Eagles at the Chiefs home to the Cowboys at the Chargers Patriots at the Dolphins last year, Luca, and this is not going to turn to a bill schedule show last year we saw signs that this team was declining despite the fact that they kept winning games. A lot of that due in part to the fact that they were playing teams like the bears, like the Patriots, like the, like the Mike white jets. And they were still able to pile up wins despite the fact that the eye test was telling us, I think they're getting worse. Um, but there's no hiding from getting worse this year. If, if the bills are declining in, in November and December, they will miss the playoffs. And like, that's a reality. Um, So they are going to have to be playing their best ball. I'm not predicting that happens, but I I will back you up a little bit. Like they're going to have to earn it. And I do want to pick your brain on this because, you know, for those that don't know, I live in St. Louis, you live in Buffalo. So you have, I think you have a better pulse for like the fan and the fan experience and like what the bills fans going to do. Nine times out of 10, I see bills at chargers. I don't care when the game is. I'm thinking to myself, that's going to be 70% bills fans in LA. It's a destination city. L.A. cannot wait to sell their tickets to that game. They know they're going to be able to sell it over because the Bills fans are coming and they're desperate to get in the building. It's kind of like when the Leafs come to play the Sabres. They know they can Ugh. sell their tickets above market price because Leaf fans just want to come in. But, Luca, this is what I'm asking you. Two days before Christmas. That's tricky. Like, what What does the the Buffalo fan do with that? I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of transplants in L.A. that will go to the game. And I think the Bills will be well, well represented in that building, even if there's not a large contingent from Western New York going out there. But to truly take over that building, you you need the mafia to be traveling from all areas of the country. And with that being two days before Christmas, does that impact that? Or are Bills fans going to Bills fan,
1: regardless of what the calendar says?
0: First and foremost, I
1: will not be selling my Sabre seasons to any Toronto fans. I will be at all those games. Josh is silly thinking that we do that. That does happen, though. Anyways, uh, um, just had to get that out there. I will not be doing that. Uh, you just wanted to brag that you have seasons. Yeah, no. Flex, soft flex. Um, I think the best thing to have happen for this game, Josh, this is a positive. Christmas is on a Monday. You get that built-in extra day off. You now are also on a Saturday night in L.A., meaning you could, in theory, in theory, ask off one day being the Tuesday. In my mind, you ask off the Tuesday. You then can celebrate Christmas in L.A., not in Buffalo. And then come back home, you know, the day after Christmas and enjoy a beautiful weekend in L.A., Southern California, whatever it is, whether you maybe even have family then in the Southwest, whatever it is, you can make a weekend of it. So with that in mind, I think the best thing to have happen is, in fact, Christmas is on a Monday, which just opens up more free time and possibility for individuals who like the idea of going to this game. If this was Sunday Sunday. I think it would be a little bit more trickier. The best thing is Saturday night and Christmas on Monday. When that happened to me, this is one that I could definitely see a big takeover for Bill's mafia. I'm not going to write that in stone though, because I think holidays are an unknown. You just don't know truthfully, like maybe more of the travel crowd are family oriented and maybe they just won't, but maybe there's that kind of crowd that is like, hey, I just need that extra day off or whatever it is built in in order to make these road games happen. It's like when the opener happened in LA and we had a massive following out there in LA, it was a Thursday night game. You just had to ask off one day to have Friday off and boom, you have this long weekend. It made sense. We're kind of in a similar circumstance here where you got that built in extra day in the weekend being Christmas day itself. So how you kind of manage that is up to you and everything and might open that door for a lot more fans than if, it was the average Sunday game or whatever it might else could have been. If it was a Monday night game, I would think that would kind of shut the door to everything, but being a Saturday night of Christmas weekend with Christmas on a Monday, I think there's a good chance that we could have a very, very big showing out there in LA once again for, but for this time for the chargers.
0: It's a good answer. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And when you think about like not a direct comparison, but uh, the Thanksgiving games, the bills have represented well and that same logic of you have that built in day off. Afterward, Detroit, not as much of a hike, but even in Dallas and New Orleans, they kind of took over those buildings. All right, Luca, last year, the Chargers were 10 and seven. What is your record prediction?
1: They're going to be better this year. They they are going to be better this year. The unfortunate part for the Chargers, as you even brought up, they are in a division with good old 15 and red. So I chalk that up. They, they got to steal a game out of that to do even better. But just assuming to not bet against the Chiefs, which we will get into more further real close here. They're going to be an 11 and six team. They're going to be a very good team. I think their schedule has a lot of winnable games in there. They have tough games, of course, as well. But being that they're not a division winner, you don't have the absolute gauntlet like the Chiefs will, like the Bills will have to go through. So you're going to have a couple winnable games comparatively. So that should be able to get to them to the 11 and six. I put an asterisk on it, though, because they are the Chargers. You never know what's going to happen. And overall, I would never in a million years put any sort of money on a Chargers future because... Lord knows what the heck could happen with the Chargers. I mean, they could just have an absolute injury crisis once again and just find themselves in just depths of unknown.
0: You know what one of the worst parts about having the Bills be like the obvious favorite in the AFC East the last couple of years were in, you know, in 2021, the Patriots chased him for a bit. 2022, the Dolphins chased him for a bit. But one of the worst parts was, Until the season started playing out, you really didn't take your division rivals that seriously. But this year, you have our attention, Jets. You have our attentions, Dolphins. Week one, the Bills are on Monday Night Football, so you have the entire NFL slate. Assuming Sunday Ticket has their stuff together with YouTube, you have their entire NFL slate to look at. And we are going to be rooting against the Jets and the Dolphins every week. Chargers-Dolphins week one. What a beauty. What a way to start the season. I cannot wait for that game. Rooting for the Chargers, super hardcore. And just as an aside, Luke, I'll give you a couple seconds to speak on this. I think a lot of people look at it as a point of frustration of like, oh man, uh, Tom Brady had it so easy and now the division looks tough. It's going to make it so much more fun. Like every week you're watching the Jets, you're watching the Dolphins, you're hoping they lose. And you're not just like watching the Chiefs or the Bengals. You have to take care of business in your own house. And I think it's tougher, it stresses you out more, it makes it harder to sit here in august and july and be like, "oh, the bills are winning the super bowl." Uh but it, it makes
1: football fun. Absolutely. And just side note, I mean, Herbert versus Tua, week 1, like all the Jets fans out there, I would rather have Tua anyways. Oh, what a what a, what a right in front of your face. Are you still certain about that? Are you really still certain that you'd rather have Tua than Herbert? Because boy do I hope The Chargers should be healthy, of course. You have Herbert fresh to go. You have a fresh new Kellen Moore offense with that. And it's being just jammed down your throat as you're dealing with Tua. Oh, my God. Just – Oh. The
0: NFL did not mess around. We're like, the Chargers are going to lose half their roster. The Dolphins might lose Tua and Phillips and Chubb. We're putting this game week one. We're <laughs> yeah. putting it week one. They already lost Ramsey. We're we're not messing with it. This is going to be a highlight game. Just get it out of the way. We want to, that, that's you guys right. are going to make
1: sure we have 100% yeah. or as close to it yeah. for this and then highlight this game for everyone because it's going to be a show. And if if on paper translates to what it should be, it should be an absolute dime of a game. Like that's one that, If you have red zone on your main TV, the next TV should probably be this game. That is a big, big time game and will probably be a shootout of some variety, but boy, like I, I am crossing every finger possible. I am hoping to some higher being that Herbert shows all Dolphins fans that still live in this delusion of Tua over Herbert exactly why they are misguided in those ways, because Herbert is absolutely the answer to that question. and getting that week one for them and just a reality check is a chef's kiss
0: chargers beat the dolphins week one bills beat the jets week one and then it's that denzel washington meme from um remember the titans who's your daddy who's your daddy remember who daddy is i need it all right luca we have put it off long enough i guess we have to get into the kansas city chiefs so I have given you a very simple assignment, Luca. You didn't even know I assigned this to you. We're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the defending Super Bowl champions. They were 14 and three last year. They have arguably the best head coach in all of football in Andy Reid. Your job, Luca, is to tell me why
1: they're going to stink this year. Uh, I have no answer to that one. (laughs) There is absolutely no answer to that. We will get into it later when I do my prediction, but. I will not fall into that trap. I will not give any sort of false hope. No, there is no answer to that question.
0: You know, I think what happens, and listen, I will tell you all, I live in St. Louis. I live four and a half hours from Kansas City. There is not a person in Bill's Mafia that wants to be a bigger hater of the Chiefs than me. I might be tied for first with, with a bunch of you out there, but I promise where I live, where I work, dealing with Chiefs fans, the, the want I have to hate on the chiefs and to pour cold water on everything they've accomplished. That was an awkward motion. Um, that I want it, but it's tough. And I realize that it's super easy to sit here and kind of do what we used to do with the Patriots. Well, like, of course they win. They have the best head coach in the sport. They have the best quarterback in the sport. How hard is it to win? I think you're selling the rest of the team short. When you look at what the Chiefs accomplished last year in an offseason where they traded away arguably the best wide receiver in the sport, if he's not number one, he's in that top three conversation in Tyreek Hill. And they went on and won the Super Bowl and had the number one ranked offense in the entire sport. And it's just hard to even put into words how successful they were with their draft class last year. They got contributions. From they had four rookies starting in the Super Bowl, Luca Trent McDuffie, George Karloftis, Jalen Watson, and Isaiah Pacheco. Four rookies starting for a Super Bowl champion. We're not talking about the Carolina Panthers. We're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs started four rookies in the championship game. They had eight starts out of another defensive player, Leo Chanel, and they had four other starts from Joshua Williams. Chanel was a role player, and he got a sack in the Super Bowl, and then Joshua Williams had an interception in the AFC title game. So six rookies, four started, two made impact plays on their playoff run. So it's it's fun to be like, oh well, of course Mahomes is a cheat code, or all oh, they get all the calls, or all oh, they shouldn't have had home field advantage. The, the Bill should have been whatever you want to say, but Luca. That is, that's the kind, that's what we're hoping that if the bills get half of that out of their draft class this year, we will build a statue of Brandon Bean and say, big baller Bean. That's unheard of.
1: It's, it's unprecedented. It's unheard of. And it, it's just a testament to a couple things, but just overall, Andy Reid and the coaching staff, it's just, they are the standard. They are the baseline of what success is and how to just maximize everything you can from one to 52 on that roster. You need to be able to understand every person on your team and what they are good at and how to then use that on a field to find success week in, week out through the postseason and through a championship. And they do it better than no one else. Like they just understand how to find success around all corners under every stone. They will figure it out. And it's, it's impressive. Like you can't hate on it. Like you can hate on it, but you just look like a fool and, and and the chiefs have gotten to this point now. And and I was going to leave this for my prediction and stuff. And I'll, I'm not going to say what I'm predicting, but they are now the new never bet against because you will lose money team. That was Brady and the Patriots and even Brady with the bucks early on. Like you just never bet against Brady. If you like losing money, put your money against Brady and you'll probably lose good on you or honestly not good on you. Cause that's a foolish thing to do. You do not bet against this team. You do not bet against Andy Reid. You do not bet against Patrick Mahomes. They will figure out, regardless if it's a bunch of rookies on defense, regardless if it's Juju Smith Schuster as their number one wide receiver, it does not matter. They just understand how to put whatever it is in their building in the most successful position possible, doing what they can at best. You're looking at a team right now where it's sky Moore and MVS on your outside receivers and Kadarius Tony as your slot. That's not exactly the most threatening wide receiver core in the league, but I am scared to death of it because unfortunately they have that 15 and red sitting there under center and the head coach is Andy Reid. I don't care who the heck is everywhere else. I don't care what's on defense. I mean, you have an all pro inside next to a guy who's got a PFF rating of 37 and it's a scary defense. Why? Because they're just really good at understanding what to get the best out of every person on that team. That's just what they're really, really good at.
0: I hate this existence so much. I hate <laughs> the chiefs so much. I, why, why is this smart life? We finally get Josh Allen and the chiefs are in our way. All right. I'm going to do the dance. I'm going to tell you how it could go wrong. I'm not predicting it's going to go wrong, but we would not be doing our job job. Um, if, if we told you, if we were just like, Oh, they're going to be great into the show. Um, There are paths for things to fall off the rails a little bit here. They have to figure out the Chris Jones situation, Luca. You know, we can joke around. And obviously the way they overcame the Tyreek Hill trade last year was incredible. I I don't think that you can count on that kind of impact from the next round of a draft class. It's great. It happened for them last year. But counting on five or six rookies to come in every year and contribute is just not the way you want to live in this league. Uh, So first and foremost, Luca, Chris Jones is a player that needs to play meaningful snaps for this team or else they are going to be in trouble.
1: Oh, sorry. I was on mute for a second. Yeah, no, absolutely. He Chris Jones is the key of the defense. That is, yeah. I said, you know, an all pro in the middle of their defense. He is that all pro. He's the number one rated interior defender in the national football league. He is a game wrecker. He is an unbelievable talent and year in year out. It's like, if it wasn't for Aaron Donald, he would be probably regarded as the best defensive tackle in the league and be potentially winning defensive player of the year awards. Like he is that good. So they do need to navigate that situation. Yes.
0: And then other ways it could go wrong. I mean, you mentioned their interior offensive line. My God, <laughs> they might, they probably have the best interior offensive line in the sport. Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Joe Tooney. Uh, but they did rebuild their tackle position this offseason. They're going to have two new tackles with Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor. You know That may not work out. You never know. I, I, think, I think it probably will. I think Andy Reid has a lot of experience, and I think there are smart people out there that think that Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor will be an upgrade over what they had last year and weren't as high on Orlando Brown Jr. And then the other point you brought up, you're <laughs> ready, folks, because this one's going to be fun to listen to um, the wide receiver situation. I realize the irony of me sitting here and questioning their wide receiver situation after they let Tyreek Hill go and made it work. But here I go. Um. They did lose Juju Smith-Schuster, who I, I think had some, had some reliability. I can't even get this word. I, I don't even know if I believe this. They had some reliability there. Um, I am not convinced that Kadarius Tony is going to be an impact player for them. I think there is a chance that he is going to be like a new age Dante Stallworth, where it's great when he's on the field, but he's few and far between when he's on the field. He already has an injury that is threatening him starting the season. So, you know, you're going to have Patrick Mahomes out there with Travis Kelsey, obviously. Isaiah Pacheco still isn't practicing, by the way. Um, And then you're looking at improvement from guys like a Sky Moore or a rookie like Rasheed Rice coming in and hitting the ground running or MVS, like you mentioned. So, again, neither one of us are – we're going to get into predictions here in a bit. Neither one of us are predicting doom, but there are at least reasons to think – that it may not be as easy for the chiefs as it could be. And and these are just things that could go wrong. Not that we're predicting they will go wrong.
1: Yeah. Overall, my thought goes to the number one way that something could not necessarily go as smoothly as it has been for the chiefs is it's just really hard to sustain that level of kind of winning that level of dominance in any professional sport. Of course, with football being that it's what made the Patriots as sad as it is to say, it's what makes the Patriots dynasty so impressive. That dynasty just sustained a level of play through such a long period of time that it's still even hard to believe when you look at it on paper, even though it's all factual, even though it all happened in front of us and we just had to sit there and deal with it season After season time after time, it's like, when is this going to end? Because it just doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. That is not normal. So can they sustain that for yet another year? What I do highlight with, you know, or kind of look at and rebuttal your, your points is yes, those are all great points. But it's like you have so many guys, Creed Humphrey, Kelsey and Mahomes, all number one at their positions currently in the league. Chris Jones, if he's on the field, is a number one rated PFF player in the league right now as an interior defender. That is four number one rated PFF players in this league on one singular team. That is an incredible, incredible thing to think about. And it's like overall You do need a few things to go your way if you are anti-Chiefs in order to see them kind of fall a little bit. It can happen. Nothing is guaranteed in the, the thing that's known as life. But I will just fall back to it one more time. You are not a smart man with your money if you bet against Red 15 and the Chiefs. It's just not a smart thing to do.
0: The biggest thing you need to go your way is the team we just talked about, the Chargers. The Chargers pushing the Chiefs or somehow finding a way to win this division would be massive. Get the playoffs out of Arrowhead. Let's see what happens. I mean, I'm sure they'd be fine. Let's see what happens. The Chiefs have to go on the road and win a playoff game. But right now, they are for sure the gold standard in the NFL. It's impressive to watch. And Luka... The Bills play the Chiefs. I just took down my my sheet here, so I'm going to have to stumble for it here. It's right after the Bills bye week in December. I want to make sure I get the week right here. Week 14. Week 14. I will tell you my fear factor for that game probably isn't as high as yours. I I think it's a true coin flip. I don't think the Bills fear the Chiefs. In a lot of ways, the Bills have built their roster to compete with the Chiefs. If, if, If anything, it's been two Chiefs focused and they've let the Dolphins and the Jets catch up and maybe the Bengals pass them. Um, the last three times they've been to Arrowhead, they, they've they won two. And they, the one they lost was an all-time historic collapse. So, I mean, they're that situation away from three straight wins at Arrowhead. I think the Bills have a very good chance to go to Arrowhead and win that game. But to me, the bigger issue with the Chiefs is not about who wins week 14. It's about who has more wins over the course of the season, who can have the playoff game in their building. And that's where the chiefs scare the daylights out of me, because I do think they are going to collect 13, 14 wins as we go along here. Um, So that week 14 game could be for home field advantage, but could also be like what we've seen the last two years, the bills win an arrowhead and they still don't have home field advantage because the chiefs are so consistent. That's what the Bills are trying to get to. That's what the Bills need to get to. It's not about always being great against other great teams. It's about handling your business when you're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars of the sport or when you're playing the Detroit Lions of the sport or when you're playing the Zach Wilson Jets of the sport. That's when you need to be the consistency of the Chiefs, and that's what the Bills are missing. But um, we can go ahead and talk about this Week
1: 14 game if you want to talk about your fear factor and then roll into your prediction for the Chiefs overall. Not to sidetrack, but um, two of those three team examples you just gave—it's really funny because those are like ultimate hype teams right now in the in the training camp preseason with the Jags and the Lions. Just it's a wild it's a wild world we live in right and now. And the Bills uh, beat
0: the Lions, and I was at that game. I don't know why I panicked and said the Lions.
1: <laughs> it's bad it's a job by me. A regrettable yeah, last okay. thirty seconds. So, not that anyone's going to like the terminology I use, but I just have to because it's it's sitting there in front of me. This actually might surprise you. It's a five to me. It's a true coin flip of a game. Um, I don't I, I share the same thing with you. I don't think the Bills fear the Chiefs. I think there's bad juju. Well, there's no more juju, but there's bad juju. With Watch the it, buddy. I'm the I am pun just- guy. I am just laying into it right now. Mm-hmm. So there's bad juju when it comes to the Arrowhead, just because of that one game, or at least that's what's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. But the last game they played, as you pointed out, they went in there and they took care of business. They did have Von Miller and stuff like that. They might even have Von Miller for this game here that we are talking about in week 14. Oh, they um, better have Von Miller. I'm just, I'm just saying might, because until it happens, you don't know yet. Let's yeah, you're right. Like let's you're right. Until it's there, Breed. you don't have it yet. You better have it by that point. <laughs> it's December. You better be you better be warmed up and ready to go. Um, I think it's a true fo- coin flip of a game. And overall, I actually feel like the Bills should feel good as long as things are going their way about winning that game, being that they have that buy going into it. They have that extra week of preparation. And as you said, they have built this team really to be chief centric It's almost done to a fault. Of all those other teams, they actually need to make sure they get around as well. And that's where consistency might not be there, like the Chiefs have with them. So yeah, it's it's a five to me. I'm I'm as worried about it because it's a it's an important game. I'm I'm worried about it because it's a game that legitimate has so much into it that should dictate on what seeding is. The Bills won that game last year in week six. I I hesitate there. I don't know why it was was early early, on, but yeah. yeah. So they win that game and everyone of course called that the game that could decide the standings of the AFC. And if it wasn't for them winning that game, The Chiefs, there would have been no conversation on if the Chiefs should have home field advantage and stuff. That's what made that game matter that much. This is going to be yet another one of those games. Clearly, as we just talked about the Chargers in week 16, week 14 is really when that kind of the standings are going to be shaping up as how they are. And this is like the standard. This is going to be what the Bengals are watching, what the Chargers are watching. Of course, the Bills and Chiefs are going to be very focused on. And it's like, this is when you really start to feel out and figure out what the AFC playoffs are going to be looking like. And all eyes are going to be on Arrowhead for this game. And therefore, it is just true coin flip because everything I'm talking about when it comes to concerns with the Bills, the Chiefs are going to be concerned as well. I think, you know, there's something about it as well where it's just this is easily a game where both teams circle. So it's not like I need to question if they'll be motivated. If either team is not going to understand the severity and the, the impact of this game, it's a, it's a true five. There's no reason to kind of tip the scale either way.
0: And your record prediction for the chiefs
1: don't bet against the chiefs. Don't ever bet against the chiefs. If their win total is currently 12 and a half, which I think it is on the sports book, I will take the over. Uh, we're taking 13 and four here. Just, why would I be foolish to think otherwise? I didn't think Juju Smith Schuster could be a number one wide receiver for any team, and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are just so darn good that they turned him into a legitimate number one, while also still making him exactly what he was. Um, yeah, thirteen and four. Like, I'm. I, there's no reason to discuss any further. As long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy, as long as he still wears fifteen on that red uniform, they are going to win a lot of games. Thirteen and four.
0: Have you heard? that one of the best predictors of like which way a team could go like a team that maybe has a chance to regress to the mean is the one score game. Like if a team won a bunch of one score games the year before, maybe they're not as good as we think. Chiefs went 10 and three, one score games. Luca flipped those 10 games and that (laughs) team was four and 12. That's my, or four and 13. That's my prediction for the chiefs. I can't Not seriously that but they did they did it's interesting though when you look at it like they had that overtime game in Houston and then um all three of their playoff games were one score games obviously there were some circumstances in that Jacksonville game I feel like they probably would have blown the Jaguars out of the building if Mahomes hadn't injured himself yeah uh but you know they they were a team that lived on the razor's edge last year and to their credit they were able to do so and win the trophy uh, but you know it is what it is my prediction for them is it's kind of like what you said um they're so consistent and the other thing that they've done similar to what the Patriots did with, with Brady is now they've won it twice. So they are loose. They don't feel the stress. So when you're playing the chiefs in October and your average team X and you have a four-point lead with four minutes to go, and all of a sudden you're getting tight butt cheeks on the sideline because you're like, "We're going to beat the Chiefs! Oh my God, we're going to beat the Chiefs! Let's not screw this up." And the Chiefs are just like, "Ah, whatever. We're you know, if we lose, we lose. But also, we're going to probably drop some play where our entire huddle just spins around, and then we run to the line of scrimmage, and Travis Kelsey is going to throw a p- touchdown pass to Patrick Mahomes, and we're going to confuse everybody, and we don't even care because we're the Chiefs. Like they are so loose." And it shows, and that is such a big part of sports success. It's why you see teams when they get a couple of championships, it's easier for them to collect them. You see in basketball with the Warriors now, how loose they play. Um, it's a handful. It really is. I, I'd love to sit here and tell you that the Chiefs are gonna they're gonna decline soon. I, I Travis Kelsey will eventually get to the point where he's not an elite tight end. He's not he's not at a great age at this point. Like I think there is a chance that one of these years he falls off i'm not ready to predict it but i think there's a chance Uh, maybe he's spending too much time trying to slide into taylor swift's dms uh but yeah 13 and 4 for me uh for the chiefs any final thoughts on the chiefs the afc west anything luca before we uh close it up close up shop and get out of here
1: yeah i mean it's funny you bring up the one score games just never forget they lost three games last season of course one to the bills in a one score game one to the one of the Bengals, one score game. And that third lovely loss they had on that schedule last year was in Indianapolis. And somehow they lost to a team that was a bottom five team in this league. Any dog on any day can win a fight. So, hey, anything's possible. But yeah, you're not a smart man if you bet against them. Remember that. It's not like we're rooting for the Chiefs here as we predict them to be 13 and four. It's just we're no longer going to fall into that trap of, hey, this could be the year they only win 11 games. This could be the year they only win 10 games. It's like, no, I'll, I'll happily predict them to win 13 games and just be proven right because they are just the epitome of consistency and the standard of winning in this league right now. Why would I think otherwise?
0: Folks, for the Bills to win a Super Bowl, they're going to have to go through the Chiefs in the playoffs. It's just going to happen. And embrace it. It doesn't make me nervous. Look how steady my hand is. (laughs) I fully believe that the bills are going to get, I'm so tired of the chiefs. I'm so tired of the chiefs. The bills can beat the chiefs. Um, I think they could beat the chiefs in the playoffs. They obviously have to have the consistency to even get to that matchup. Uh, But yeah, the chiefs are the gold standard. It's impressive stuff. Uh, Luke, I'd like to think that our podcast is the gold standard for uh, bills content, but uh, you know, we, we do our best. We'll be back on bills chat live on Friday. And we will be talking about all things Bill's training camp. And then Bill's Chats podcast will be back the following Monday. Again, wrapping up training camp, talking about the blue and red scrimmage. And then we will start diving into the NFC East. So the Giants, the Eagles, the Commanders for now. And the Cowboys will be the topics of that show. And then, Luca, what can we expect on the Sabres chat front this week?
1: So on Sabres chat this week, I will not have hopefully any more technical issues and I will actually be diving into the Sabres division, also known as the Atlantic division, kind of doing a similar feel to what we're doing here on Bill's chat, where we're at that point of the off season when hockey, where there's not a whole heck of a lot going on. You get a signature here and there camp is reporting mid September. We're of course about to go into August. So why not look at kind of where other teams around the league are and start in the division when it comes to that? Because look, we're in an opposite situation here with the Sabres. We're trying to break through and break the longest route in North American playoffs, <laughs> all sports across the board. We are the longest route. First thing that you can try to do is at least get in one of those top three spots in your division. So why not see where those teams stand currently? Because there has been a lot of change and movement in the division itself. So honestly, it might be the most entertaining off season division that there is. So that's where I'm going to start. And that will be out on Thursday at noon on YouTube and the built-in Buffalo podcast network.
0: Um, so you said North American, what continent are the Sabres owning still?
1: <laughs> that's actually a good point. I don't know why I said North American, I guess. Yeah. Well, I figured there's I mean, probably like some it's, soccer it's, team in Africa. I was going to say, there's probably like, it's just mm-hmm. the, in me where it's like, I can't, I can't go with European. I don't know when the last league title was or whatever, over yeah. in Europe. Okay. So it's like, Fair I'm not going to go that far. So just North American sports. It's, it's just something that's trained in my brain.
0: You mentioned our YouTube channel, Bill's chat on YouTube. We would love it so much. If you would give it, give a couple seconds to go over there and subscribe, it helps us out so much. We are really trying to grow that channel. Now we put an emphasis into it a couple of weeks ago, and that is really where a lot of our focus is now putting all of our content on that And if you could subscribe, that helps us out so, so much as we try to make Bill's Chat YouTube your one-stop shop for all Buffalo sports content. Because we have some Sabre stuff up there, too. We have some fun stuff coming with uh, maybe even Madden coming up this season. And then I will be there after every training camp putting a little 5-10 minute recap video up there. So if you don't have the time or the bandwidth to go through and scroll Twitter and read articles and watch hour-long podcast every day you want to just a little quick hitter of what happened every day i got you watch the video I, i've been enjoying doing those um Stoke should be back soon i'm sure to help me out with some of those and then uh, luca and i will obviously be back next weekend to wrap up all things on bill's chat live on built-in buffalo on friday and then bill's chat obviously next monday For Luca, I am Josh McCarty. One last time, thank you to Victoria Geary for joining us from Football Guys. We will see you next time on Bills Chat.